listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back to another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Mooey! It's macho time, yeah. Savage times for a savage land. <laughs> I am also here, but today we're going to get a lot of Poffo, Randy, baseball, no more. He's a professional <laughs> wrestler and he'll be all over our show. Plus there's Patreon content for this era as well. So you won't be seeing the Ricky Steamboat sabotage around now, even though it's sure. happened. Because well, I keep yeah, referring to it. A lot of references to it. But We'll, we'll tippy-toe around it as we, yeah. when we get there. <laughs> and then we'll plug our Patreon. Ding, ding, ding. dong. So yeah, it is Saturday Night's Main Event, the November edition, 1986. A really crucial, critical, awesome show that we've been basically... Set up. Had- yeah, you will. I'm going to pull uh, a heen in here. Yes, everything he said, set up. Because today we're setting up the that's Saturday right. nights. Yes. 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 So, okay, that's good. That, that gives me... A- <laughs> we, we might want to talk about the same monsoon Heenan uh, minute, but anyway, uh, that's what friends do. They they help each other when they forget a key word. That's this right. will be the setup, and then our next episode will be the actual episode. Yes, and this content, this time, this period, you know, we circled this on the calendar. The moment we ever first had a conversation about even thinking about having a wrestling podcast, the idea that we'd be covering this match coming up on this no- November main event is where it was at. I must have said to you at some point, probably bef- long before the podcast, that this was like either my favorite or tied for. Yeah. Yeah. It must have come up, right? Yeah. For I sure. wonder what you said. I think by now it's probably come up. I think you said some war games were like your. Well, I mean, I've, I, I, it's hard for me to signal one specific thing. Like, you know, again, we've kind of looked at this bulldog stuff. It's hard to find a favorite match out of that. The, the last, one Am I a way show. off base or did you mention. No, uh, I, I did love those original war games, but I can't, I, I don't think. I have. I, I think I have like I just have so many things I love yeah. that you know. Well, the thing about that answer, which I understand you're hesitant to commit, is like you get eight wrestlers there, so that's a little unfair, you know, that's in the right. war games, right? Yeah. I'm like, come it's on, like the original one's ten, <laughs> right? On there five. you are. Yeah. Okay. Um, which one? Uh, well, the original war game oh, from like '87. Okay. You know, like yeah. yeah. So the Horseman and JJ. That's right. Four and a half. That's right. <laughs> Ellering, four and three quarters. <laughs> uh, we got a three-way dance. J.J. Dillon, Paul Ellering, and Bobby the Brain to the end. Ellering's We're, winning and Heenan's taking all the bumps. Nowadays, they'd give the manager a fucking gold belt and say, here he is, world champion manager. <laughs> well, and a junior, like, junior champion manager. More like 99, 2000 WCW. <laughs> Just That's bringing right. any any old is Hollywood person. The, in for the hardcore title? and Well, that too, uh, but even oh, the world, they're like... Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Though there's a documentary to give, we got to give David Arquette maybe a, we got to take it easy on him. Of course, yes. I think that his heart was in the right place is what I yeah. understand, you know. And yeah, I think he improved his ability to be a performer greatly after the fact, but it yeah. doesn't change the fact of what he, where he was at when it was happening. So here at Legendary Wrestling Obsession, we don't do a lot of shit talking. You might have noticed. We, we, we prefer to focus on the positive, accentuate right. what <laughs> have, we love about. Have fun. That's right. And <laughs> Try not to hold everyone's to account of things yeah. that, you know. Maybe when we're big shots, we'll be <laughs> <That's right. laughs> kicking we'll change ass. Change our tune. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we hit the big time. Everybody stinks. <laughs> okay, so there was a ton of stuff 
for this, even though it's only a month, basically, between cards, there is a crazy amount of stuff happening. This really is the era, the time that we're setting up WrestleMania 3. And for modern wrestling, they can't really, for the most part, understand this because they're often not even announcing the matches until days and weeks before the card. But back in this time, it, we're talking November, December, January. That's what's setting up, you know, our, our March or April WrestleMania, not waiting until you know, the end of March to, to set the table, so to speak. So it's it's really neat, some of the stuff that comes together. We couldn't, I had to, like, skip over stuff. It's it's insane how much good stuff there was available to us to, to have on the show. So hopefully we pick the best, and hopefully you'll appreciate it. A few things that, pieces of business to get to before we uh, get on with the setup. Business! So I think one really funny thing came in uh, since one of our last shows. We ended up talking a little bit about Bob Probert, as part of, uh, you know, that episode because of our letter writer. <laughs> yeah. And it was probably just another mean NHLer that gave me the stink eye. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was a funny little thing. So through the website, the hockey website that where he found our show, he just simply posted no message, but just posted the link to a video of Tank Abbott, so the UFC early on fan favorite who was exposed later on to not really have much beyond bar fighting skills. But uh, it was exciting at the time when people didn't know how to take him down. He was for a while WCW was trying to use him as like a big talent. They were even thinking about putting the world title on him. And there's this shtick where he like literally pulls the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks out of the crowd and drags him into the ring. And then Bob Robert, who happened to be playing for the Blackhawks at that, you know, near the end of his career there, he comes in and all the officials come in and break it up. So it's hilarious that we have this like moment of like Bob Probert was actually involved in wrestling. Yeah. He's like six, four or five. He's he a big guy. Very yeah. large guy. Okay. So this other guy was more of my size. Still, I wanted, I didn't want to fight him. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. I just want to I just want to take your order, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cheeseburger, French fries. <laughs> so one thing I've noticed online this week, or the last two weeks really, is Jeff's uh, you know favorite show, OSW. That you know they've been having some issues. They're uh, they're getting nailed on their uh, their videos. You know they're they're, they're getting they're get videos are getting taken down and they're appealing them and they're back up. So they're they're posting things like you know watch the show now today because it might not be there tomorrow kind of oh, thing. Wow, like, well, yeah. that's uh, that's interesting. So uh, they're having to uh, you know I guess make some changes to how they're going to present their information. Right. Well, the WWF could make their lives miserable with their uh, resources, even if uh, what OSW is doing is all above board and perfectly legal, which I assume it is. You know, yeah. they're, they are, after all, using WWE content. But I, I would have assumed that they are, you know, look, went into it like knowing that, like, we can't show, you know, an entire DVD and unaltered and expected <laughs> profit from yeah, it. Yeah, right? yeah. That's, that's understood, right. you know. Yeah. You wonder how we get these Philly shows without somebody yanking them, you know, on YouTube because right. either the WWE has just said, okay, you can do it because, you know, or they would shut it down, you know, like they're, yeah. anyway, good luck and best of luck to those lads. Cause yeah, I'm a big, I'm big fans of theirs and I have faith that they are not doing anything wrong except for maybe somebody's just like, Ooh, you know, you're making money off our content. And so now we'll right. make your, you know, oh well, that's too yeah. bad. So good luck to them. Uh, another thing we talked about last uh, episode was because we were talking so much Honky Tonk Man and Elvis kind of brought Jeff's idea around, oh, that wrestler, the the Jim Morrison type guy. Like, you know, so his, his, his name's actually John Morrison. So it's like very close. And all of his wrestling personas are Johnny this, Johnny that. It's actually quite comical. I just looked it up a second ago and it's like he literally at one point on TV, his name changed like three times in like five weeks. <laughs> He's oh my like, goodness! He's like Johnny Blaze and Johnny saying. this and Johnny that, but uh, maybe he had a bland personality because he had the look. He had the look, yeah. 
for sure. Things didn't quite work out for him to be a top, top guy, but he, he did well for a long time. And I, he's still wrestling as far as I know. But, I wasn't uh, really watching in those days. Yeah. It's just... He was even, uh, he came up through that uh, Tough Enough, the second season of Tough Enough, which oh. is kind of like, almost like the equivalent of the UFC, you know, like show when they would bring in the, the rookies and, you know, have the famous coaches and stuff like that. Um, what the hell was that show called? <laughs> That's basically... Not NXT, because that No, 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 Uf- UFC, UFC. Oh, right. That's the one that basically made UFC all their money. They were kind of floundering, and all of a sudden they got that TV show and right. season yeah, one yeah. of Ultimate Fighter. There we go. That yeah. was it. Yeah. I stopped watching UFC a long time ago, so I've all this stuff draining out of my brain. Okay, one last thing before we get to the setup and get going here. And one thing we meant to touch on last week, and we kind of just forgot, and uh, it's... We got a new king. <laughs> well, there is a lot of uh, Harley Race going right on around these days. And like, so who would be the old king if Harley Race is the new king? You're talking about Harley Race, I assume. Yeah. So we get the coronation yeah. on TV, yeah. which is seen over and over and over again. Yeah. We broadcast a lot at that time of Harley Race. Now, Harley Race won the second King of the Ring house show tournament, which outside of that market isn't advertised very heavily on TV you kind of just think that he's just sort of crowned the the king. Like Bobby Heenan's just assembled all the heels and here we go, he's going to be the king. Uh, Don Morocco got no such treatment for winning the first one. And the interesting thing is that they keep doing these house shows every year, but the storyline on TV of who's the king is about individual matches, not a tournament. You know, like him losing the crown to, you know, the next person. It's not connected to these tournaments. So they have these two separate things going on. They have these house show tournaments one, once a year, and then they have these, you know, the TV version of the king. And this is the only year where it's like the winner, as far as I can tell, the winner of the tournament is the king on TV. Because as we all know, if we have any background knowledge on history, Harley Race actually behind the scenes had financial interests in some of the places that the WWE was now traveling to to put on their shows. So he had a legitimate beef with the WWF and, uh, you know, it wasn't Hogan's fault, but Hogan is the main draw and like (laughs) when they come to Kansas City, so we, I think we last week or the week before we told these funny stories about Harley Race. Well, you know, they're just legends, you know, and uh, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, so, uh, but it is funny to think that Harley Race, like in the 80s, was such a big deal, you know, the multiple world champion in the NWA and a huge draw. And at that point already a veteran, a legend, and probably said that already, but anyway. (laughs) So this whole King shtick was a way of kind of like, Making peace with the NWA, whatever, yeah. him personally and the NWA, and the the joke is like at the barrel of a gun, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. We don't know about that part, but uh, I mean, some people will say, "Oh, this is McMahon kind of." It's like almost like a, a different version of the Dusty Rhodes polka dots. Like he's gonna he's gonna make Harley Race look like a fool by making him wear this crown on TV. So you can go both oh. ways. You can be like, "Oh, this is respectful I'm, to call him the king." I never saw or it that this way. is this yeah. is like this is kind of poking fun at him. You know, who yeah. Knows? Well, I guess people could say that, but I don't think Harley Race would have taken that that's right (laughs) beat you up (laughs) yeah i the one wrestler that i knew that was i remember i was really young when he told me but he said that yeah harley drank a lot and somebody pissed him off in the locker room he started smacking him around the locker room they had their match and he came back and gave me a few more shots before the guy like got his gear on and went home oh my god (laughs) (laughs) run away (laughs) (laughs) it has beat up three times (laughs) okay so we got a lot to get to so we're gonna get rolling here came across one nice piece of nugget this is another thing that's leaking out from last episode kind of carrying over so september 17th wrestling challenge episode paul orndorf pins a jobber with the pile driver nothing to see here except for lucius brown oh that happens to be virgil 
I had no idea. Soul Train Jones, I remember from the wrestling magazines, would wear yeah. uh, the USA shtick, kind of like um, Apollo Creed and Rocky. Just, yeah. You know, Star Spangled Banner guy. But from the photos, he looked great. Oh, he looks great in this match, too. And it's the one thing I kind of think about is that I think the early and mid-80s jobbers in general, especially in the WWE, sort of had a certain look. They were either big and tubby or kind of skinny and scrawny. <laughs> like, they didn't really, outside of, like, the odd guy, like, maybe, like, a Jim Powers and Paul Romer when they were being used as an enhancement talent, most of the guys didn't weren't muscle guys. They didn't you, look that athletic. If you saw a Scott Hall body type, you're like, huh? What's he doing on yeah. the jobber side? And so this was one of those ones that stood out where Virgil looked really like, and you know, he, he he's standing beside Paul Orndorff looking pretty good and uh, didn't put up much of a fight, of course. Late in the 80s, I did notice the WWE did go to the sort of penchant for a lot of big bodybuilder guys. Like all of a sudden the, the enhancement talent, I think that mindset became... Well, let's make it look like they're squashing somebody really did tough. Did I hear AWA? You, you, we were, you didn't say AWA, did you? No, no, no. I said WWF. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting yeah, just the, sure. the, the, the mindset of like, I think initially it was like, let's put out a weakling looking guy because then it like the guy, the, the superstar looks oh, more intimidating, yeah. you know, but then it was by the end of the eighties, it was almost the other way around where it's like, let's put out somebody who looks really tough, who isn't. And yeah. then like the squash him and then everyone will think, oh, yeah, this guy's well, a superstar. Well, I mean... Stallone is how tall? Uh, Not very tall. <laughs> no, but you won't, you don't know it when they match him. You know what I mean? Like even like Mr. T comes across adequately, uh, you know, yeah. in the ring. But I think Stallone probably would do if you put him in the ring. I think suddenly you'd be like, huh? That's well, actually, I mean, they they use it to their benefit so well in yeah. in, in Rocky Three. I mean, like, yeah. that's the real height. <laughs> Stallone looking at up at Hogan, <laughs> and it's, it's so good because yeah. so normal. Yeah, and of course that that's no disrespect to Stallone. I love Rocky, and uh, Stallone's awesome. You just assume that he's your. I think you know human nature. You assume everybody else is your height unless you're standing next to them. And you know <laughs> that they're, what their relative height is, just, I guess, an idea of relativity, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like Tom Cruise is famously short. and Of course, yeah. But he's a movie star, and in his movies, he doesn't look short. No, yeah, they're always able to stage it in a way that can keep his, you know, sort of make him look like a decent height. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dana Scully in The X-Files, they put her on risers all the time in, in that show. Because she was, you know, I had a poster of the X-Files where to make Scully look the same height as Mulder, they did this weird perspective vertigo leg stretch to have like Mulder's leg look all, look really just, if you looked at it too closely. Yeah, yeah. Because they weren't, they were, she's really short. Okay. So they always had to like prop her up. (laughs) That's interesting. (laughs) So a couple more notes here. So October 5th, Piper beat Savage in a match by Countout. And I uh, used a chair shot. I only bring it up because it's just like I, the, the in this era to see Roddy Piper fight Randy Savage would be really neat. But uh, of course, there's no uh, I couldn't find any any matches in these coming months between the two. But that would have been a nice one. When we now realize the odds are most of these wrestlers did engage in some sort of a dream match that we always imagined because they're working six or six and a half nights a week. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, plus everything they did before they got here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many times it was, it was Mid-South or somewhere else and they, they'd fought. So there's a really interesting thing on October 7th, there's a Superstars taping. And part of that is there's a, a match taped for an international only show. So it doesn't air in Canada or the US. And it becomes this unicorn match that people talk about 
but until about three years ago, nobody had ever seen. It finally kind of came up on the internet. There's a wrestler named Tom McGee. McMahon decides this is going to be his next Hogan. He loves the look of this guy. He's this huge muscle guy. I think he has a gymnastic background or something like that, so he can do flips and splits and stuff like that. And they're all super impressed with him. He has a match with Bret Hart. And after this match, they're ready to like, you know, Hogan's losing his hair. Let's put the, let's get the title on this guy. But then when he has his matches with other guys, he looks like shit. <laughs> and then they realize it's like only Bret Hart could like make this guy look good. <laughs> was, right. Yeah. I did see this myself quite. I think you nailed it. The legendary Tom McGee. It, uh, I had a look at that. So that happens around this time. You said. Yeah, that's right. It was, yeah, it was. It, I, I think the airing uh, for the international one was October 7th. I can't remember the, the taping date. And then, yeah, okay, let's get of a into... Giant, it's, you know, kind of a... Imagine a giant Brian Pillman. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> That's right, know? yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, taller and just super muscle. And, and sort of moving the same way. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least in the Bret Hart match, he looked like he could move really well, but yeah. apparently, apparently not so much when he wasn't in there with Bret. Well, makes you wonder, right? Like, yeah. Okay, let's get to a... October 9th, primetime edition, and it's a little interview with Jesse Ventura and his used-to-be friend Hulk Hogan. I don't think these guys ever liked each other. Jesse says they were until the Uh, whole uh, thing went down. Yeah, you know, Hogan uh, would possibly be considered a stooge because he would, you know, he was, and uh, Jesse was trying to organize the union. union, Yeah, The union. Yeah, I keep seeing the clip of him saying, like, Hogan and I used to be friends. (laughs) Right. Anyway, so here we have Jesse, and uh, he doesn't have his long hairstyle any longer. That's right. I mean, the hair that he had remaining. Um, yes. He doesn't look like he used to in this AWA era, so he carried over his look until now, and now he looks a bit more like he does in the Running Man movie, or Predator, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So it's, anyway, uh, but Jesse will never fail to wear a crazy sparkly wig <laughs> <laughs> or some kind of shit like that. So Jesse introduces Hulk Hogan, and I'm not sure why he says, I use the term loosely, the champion. Because, <laughs> um, you know, Hogan's still got a firm grasp oh, on yeah, the yeah. belt. Uh, but he kind of like does a little bit of a detour and says, because everybody knows that Paul Orndorff is the real American. So he's just really yeah. trying to get Hogan's goat. Exactly. And Hogan comes on strong. I don't think Hogan likes Jesse. Because he comes out and he says, well, you must be dreaming or fantasizing or, or, you know, having wishful thinking. You know, (laughs) uh, you must be wishing that you had... Big arms and a full head of hair, which is pretty rich for Hogan. <laughs> Hogan's got like you know, yeah. 20% more hair than Jesse. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, but next to me, you look like a weeping willow, little man. <laughs> like, woo, <laughs> this is some fucking throwdown. Yeah. Two big beefy guys. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think they like each other. So this is uh, actually what I like is when some of the truth comes out in the the interviews and it, it makes it more real and anyway so the uh, the rest of the promo is Hogan complaining about Ho- Orndorff and the betrayal and then he he gets in his saying your prayers eating your vitamins and then he remembers there's a heel behind him something you know nothing about Jesse <laughs> He wraps up with, Orndorf, I'm going to be the judge, jury, and the executioner. And he goes through some gruesome ways, you know, gas chamber, <laughs> electrocution, you know, guillotine. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so uh, Jesse and Hogan open up. You and Hulk were once good friends. Yeah. What's the likelihood of that ever being repaired? Never. What? Can't trust him. I don't, I'm not friends with anyone I don't trust. I have to have a trust with someone to be their friend. And uh, he's the one that ratted me to Vince when I tried to unionize. I found that out under federal deposition when Vince was put under sword, and he didn't hesitate at all. I told my lawyer the story, and 
in deposition you can ask about anything. And so I wanted to know who ratted me in the locker room because mm -hmm. there were no agents, no one from the office was in there when I did it. So it had to be one of the boys. And when my attorney said, is there, Mr. McMahon, has there ever been a union in wrestling? And Vince said, no. He said, has anyone ever tried to? And Vince said, well, I think Jesse Ventura spouted his mouth off about it once or once before. And my attorney said, did you hear Mr. Ventura? No. Well, then how do you know he did? With no hesitation, Vince went, Hulk Hogan told me. And I didn't show any emotion, but I almost tipped over in the chair because he was my friend. And I thought, but then I understand why. When we went to court, I saw in WrestleMania three, Hogan got paid more than all of us combined. Now, why would he want a union when he's getting taken care of? Imagine that, WrestleMania three, 93,000 people, and he got more than Andre the Giant and all the rest of us combined. If there was a union, would that happen? No. What communication did you have with Hulk after you found that out? None. I've never spoken to him since and don't intend to. Did he ever try and why reach would he bother, out and Why would he bother with me? He's dealing with Hulkamania. The only time he made contact, he wrote a book when I was governor, and he was coming here once to do a book signing, and he wanted to make sure I wouldn't get him arrested. <laughs> so he actually had Vince McMahon contact me as governor. And you know what I told Vince? I said, you tell Hulk, believe it or not, I have more important things on my mind than him. I said, I know it'll destroy his ego to hear that, but I don't think of him on a daily basis. Okay, so as part of the October 11th Wrestling Challenge episode, we're going to come right out of the gates hot with this title or non-title match, pardon me, very specific non-title match, challenger Billy Jack Haynes going after Randy Macho Man Savage. So we get Monsoon and Heenan at the beginning. Heenan's got this really bright blue jacket. And there's a quick little funny bit where basically Monsoon's setting up the whole show. And Heenan's basically trying to interject. And he can't really get a word in edgewise. So Monsoon says something on behalf of Bobby. And he says, I can speak for myself. And then Monsoon goes, oh, I know you can. And then Bobby thinks that he's going to then get this handheld microphone that's being used. And Monsoon throws it to like the, the opening credits. And Bobby just does this really subtle but brilliant like double take and kind of mouth opens up kind of like disappointment. Just, how could you? <laughs> it's really funny. So we get a really great entrance from Macho Man. He's got this really colorful, multi-colored you know colored robe. And I think Elizabeth's outfits kind of matches it. Lots of purple and green and sparkly silver and whatever else uh, so the whole pre-match stick is pretty funny macho's like basically being really rude to elizabeth he keeps like moving her around to different parts of like the corner and and he's you know so billy jack Haynes, the gentleman that he is comes over to protest so savage turns around and gives him like a two-hand shove and then as soon as billy goes to retaliate he's like immediately in the corner behind elizabeth just totally cowering and like just acting you know super scared it's really great how could you not love to hate this guy <laughs> So we got uh, Hebner working as the ref. It's really good. The match gets going, and there's an inset promo with Elizabeth where they ask her, like, how can she put up with this guy? And she's, like, very delicately saying, like, oh, Randy's really nice, and he buys me nice things, and you don't see his sweet side, and da-da-da. And then she says, and sometimes I think he just doesn't like me talking to other. And then, like, Macho Man bursts into this inset promo. What are you doing here? Get out of here! All right! He grabs her and just, like, yanks her out. It's really funny. Jeez. And it's super funny because, like, you know, you're watching him wrestle, like, on the screen as this, like, little thing's happening up in this box. So it just, yeah, it just, it popped me. I laughed when, because you don't actually really see Macho Man very good. He kind of just swoops in with his arm up and just in the corner and in and out and grabs her. 
pretty good. Classic. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, like most matches, Billy has the early advantage, a bunch of reversals and things. He does do this one really nice, just beautiful military press slam. Billy Jack Haynes was really good at that. Um, yeah, I was always impressed when he did it. I saw a match against him versus Flair. I think he press slammed him like four times or five times. It was like, just kept doing, going to it every time. And Heenan's is really pumping Savage's tires saying, you know, he's the, he's the champ. He won it fair and square from Tito. And Monsoon's like, oh, please. More like he stole it. So it's all just the usual stall tactics from Savage. Some really fast, fast action. And eventually Billy Jack Kane misses a drop kick. So that's Macho's turn to get in a bunch of offense. So he gets a top rope axe handle. He does his hangman's clothesline. Eventually, a little bit later, Billy counters a whip and he delivers his own hangman's clothesline. It was really neat that he like he literally did the exact same move, the, the same style as Macho's clothesline. So that was pretty neat. And then basically, Savage regains the advantage and he goes for this body slam on Haynes, who slips over the top. So he flips over his back and he locks in the full Nelson. So Macho Man's just desperate and he reaches out with his tippy toe and he gets it up on the top rope. But Billy Jack Haynes pulls him back to the middle of the ring. So he's really in trouble. And Hepner's asking Macho Man if he wants to give up. And then you see it. Billy Jack lifts Macho Man. Which I can see why that would be more painful. Except for in this case, you can tell it's just an assist. So that Macho Man can double foot mule kick Hepner. And just kills him into the corner. So he knocks him down. So Billy Jack keeps the hold on for a bit. Then he puts Savage down. And Savage is just a corpse. And he goes over to check on the ref. And out comes Danny Davis. So uh-huh. Danny Davis comes in the ring, and he rings the bell, and he disqualifies Billy Jack Haynes for bumping the ref with Savage. Controversy. Oh, my God. How are they going to settle this? <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's pretty, it's pretty good. And then, and then Davis is helping Hebner to the back. He's trying to look like he's the good guy here. So, of course, Monsoon's outraged. You know, this is something that we're going to see over and over. We see a lot of stuff with Davis on this particular stretch of shows. And we're not going to capture all of them, but there's some, there's some pretty good stuff. On that same episode, there's a snake pit with none other than Hulk Hogan. Oh my goodness. Well, next year in 87, Winnipeg will be one of only two places where Jake and Hogan wrestled singles matches. We'll get to that when we cover a later Saturday Night's main event. But this would be their first interaction. That's right. I think that's, you know, definitely we're going to see a little bit of a tease here. So Jake's like in this white coat and jeans. You know, he's just holding up Damien's head. Have you ever seen the, the Snake Pit set? It was kind of like there was almost like a rock formation in the middle that Damien would hang out in. <laughs> and then people would come out through these tunnels. And in this era, they changed all the sets so that they had these rear entrances. The old Piper's Pit was just a wall behind them. But yeah. like now it's like there's a there's a back entrance. <laughs> yeah, a doorway. Better for sneak attacks. Yep. Or, <laughs> you know... You know, taking cover from the yeah, snake. That's right, getting taken off. <laughs> so when he, Hogan's just not looking impressed, and Jake asks him what he thinks of the python, and uh, Hogan comes back with his, you know, he thinks about his two 24-inch pythons. <laughs> so it's a little bit of back and forth with that. Jake speaks of the strength of a python, and Hulk says he's been raising two pythons since he was a little bitty, little bitty Hulkster. So some cheesy stuff back and forth here. Jake asks him to show this the pythons to him, and Hulk obliges by countering that with by rudely posing he steps in front of jake and sticks his arm up in front of his face and blocks jake's face from the camera so jake's getting pretty upset here so at this point jake says let me ask you one question would you turn your back on a man that you're afraid of and hogan takes his head and says no and then he turns his back and walks off the set and jake just loses his mind he's like what get back here get back and he just freaks freaks out and barks because hogan showed him that disrespect and definitely teasing this uh you know potential feud that was getting set up that unfortunately got cut short Oh, there's been tons of mail pouring into the World Wrestling Federation about referee Danny Davis. Let's go to it. 
I hear you people have been writing a lot of letters about me to the WWF, you fans. Well, you know nothing about refereeing. You can write all the letters you want because it is going to do you people no good. I'm going to do the job just as I've always done. You mean the horrible job that he's uh, used to doing. Is that what he means? Well, I, I think the man means Very he's, he's partial doing individual. I think he's, he does a, a fair job, yeah. Fair job. A, ref, a referee, Bobby the Brain, has to be completely straight down the middle. Well, that's what I mean. A fair job. He's fair to both men. Get out. Well, you asked my opinion. Yeah, Monsieur. I'm sorry I did. Well, then don't ask me anymore. So a couple of quick notes before we get to a really great match. So October 14th, the primetime episode, we see the construction of Piper's Pit. So like I said, the, the backdoor episode and what people, the, all the 87 Piper's Pits and the end of 86 here, this is that set where we're used to. And on October 18th, there's one of many that was in the cards, Hillbilly Jim versus Mr. Fuji in a tuxedo match. Did you ever see one of those? I think I had forced myself to forget. Yes, it was on one of the Coliseum tapes, and I, I think they had more than one of these matches, and uh, yeah, they're quite silly. But So that's going to bring us around to the same date, October 18th. It's a prism card, and we're in an interview setting with our man Cal Rudman. So yes, indeed, Killer Cal, our favorite, oh, yeah. and he's interviewing Randy Macho Man. So Savage has got uh, a winged heart on his t-shirt, and it says Macho Man. Uh, actually, I know it says Macho, uh, the man part. We didn't see his, you know, the cameras are <laughs> close, too close to see. Yeah. Anyway, this is more of a Bret Hart motif down the road, but uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I got a Christmas ornament as well. That's got a, a heart with a couple of wings coming out of it, and his shades, and of course, he's got a colorful bandana. Nothing uh, too specific. Just you know, it's got lots of different shapes and patterns on it. Cal is talking about boy, I got a real tough opponent tonight. I'm not sure how he knows this because it's also his first look at the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, that's so, right. which also brings to question uh, to mind the question how does honky get an icy shot uh, on his debut match if they've never heard about him then how is he getting a title <laughs> shot you know it's a very curious thing but that is the case anyway so cal says we got a poor man's elvis here and and of course macho man he's uh ready for the love he's like hey killer kill you're right the compliment the macho man even though he didn't particularly he just knows yeah. that the general tone is he loves heels that's right right Anyway, so um, he has a couple of references to the Honky Tonk Man, but it's not really the bigger picture. Still, he's like, hey, did you drive that pink Cadillac? Yeah, it's not the 50s, not the 60s, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, most of other, others, other stuff. But largely, Savage wants to talk about his greater ambitions. And it's Cal gets the ball rolling by, you know, saying, well, you say you're the greatest, but I saw Hulk Hogan beat you. <gasps> Cal! How dare you That's embarrass right. a heel, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, win. He goes, right here in the Philly. He's like, oh, yeah, well, he just goes on and say, this belt was supposed to be my passport to the world title, yeah. And if ever I had a question of which belt I would buy for my icy belt, or sorry, for my uh, cosplay Macho Man outfit, Savage has now settled it because he's like, I want to get exactly what he says. Well, in his own words, the world champion means a lot more than this belt. So there it is, you know. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we all know the IC belt is your stepping stone to the world championship, hopefully. Stay tuned, dear listeners, to see what becomes of Randy Savage after <laughs> as you continue to listen to Legendary Wrestling Obsession. But on this eve, indeed, it is the honky-tonk man who is a face. As I mentioned, we've got a little 
segment on Honky Tonk Man on our Patreon channel, where you can go and support our show. Corey will give you the details on that. But uh, there was a big vote to see whether or not the fans actually liked Honky Tonk Man. And of course, he lost. So go check out Patreon to uh, check out our coverage of that. At this point, though, Honky Tonk is still being presented as a face. And as a matter of fact, he's probably wrestled a jobber. It's just the first time the Philly people have seen him and Cal. So I think he's probably yeah. appeared on TV already. Oh, yeah. His first, first, first introduction, I think Junkyard Dog and somebody brought him out to the ring, not to wrestle, but just to introduce him. Right. And then we see some promos. And yeah. like you said, we've seen jobber matches, I believe. Yeah. Right. But they do have their own kind of timeline or in, in Philly. They just they go by what they put on their TV show, yeah. you know, and that's Cal's angle. So the match itself, as usual... Savage looks awesome. He's got a purple and white robe. No sequins on this particular outfit. Uh, there are white fringes on it. Liz is also wearing a, uh, a, a lovely dress with uh, lots of these uh, hanging white fringes. Uh, always looking elegant and uh, could step into any cocktail party or any, you know, <laughs> reception. You know, she could be on the arm of a president. Meet the president, yes. Exactly. She's uh, just such a, a, a graceful lady. Uh, however, Macho Man does have the gold sequin headband, but we're going to get plenty of sequins in a minute because the Honky Tonk Man, we get a look at him backstage. His, his outfit looks green backstage, but bluish when he gets into the different stadium lights. Yeah. Honky got the gorilla treatment. We actually see like the hallway shot like we'd see for Hogan or Orndorff or somebody. It's kind of interesting to see him in that light. Right. And so I do have to protest Honky Tonk. Man comes out second, which should be reserved for our champion. And that's ridiculous. So, you know, Macho Man has made his entrance to his awesome theme song and everything's great. Out comes Honky Tonk. It's kind of an interesting guitar beginning. It sounds, you know, like a bluegrass tune. But then after that, it kind of sounds like the Sheep Herders entrance. Just this weird <laughs> kind of boom, 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 Oh, I boom. missed that. When it first started playing, I kind of thought I recognized it as like a commercial song, but I could be wrong. Hmm. Well, anyway, um, so... Honky Tonk makes his way down to the uh, ring. And actually, I didn't mention this. There uh, appear to be, you know, already, I don't think, I, I didn't really hear people booing when Macho Man made his entrance. Like right. the music swells, but you can usually still hear a boo because yeah, of the yeah, sound yeah. waves over music. So um, Macho Man, you know, I think there was a mix. The boos weren't that loud. I just noticed oh, Elizabeth always gets cheered. But uh, for Macho Man, crowd may be uh, starting to, you know, dig his antics, you know, right, right. even though he's always cowering behind Elizabeth for safety, you know, the, <laughs> the crowd enjoys him anyway. So the uh, announcers notice that uh, honky, honky Tonk Man's actually out dazzling the uh, Macho Man for a change. The Honky Tonk Man is. His outfit is like a jumpsuit like Elvis would wear, which includes a strange kind of his own version of a belt. It looks like he's got a title. <laughs> he's like the, you know, the Vegas champion, you know. That's right. The commentator is saying, oh, and look how beautiful Elizabeth is. And Lord, I was like, well, mm. he says, yes, she's a beauty, but I don't excuse her. And uh, he's like, well, what do you mean? Well, she is a part of that conspiracy that has made Macho Man so successful. So even though she's lovely, you have to be careful. Poor Elizabeth. Never did a cheating thing in her life. That's right. Well, maybe later, WCW. So the bell rings. Oh, it's kind of funny. As soon as Honky gets into the ring, he does a little wiggle. His yeah. little Elvis shuffle. So that's always fun to see. Macho Man definitely kind of looks at him and looks at the crowd a bit puzzled. Not sure what to make of this, this yeah, it's, character. It's, as, a, as a fan watching this back now, all these years later, it's kind of like Bizarro World or something. You know, you're just seeing Honky Tonk Man in the ring with Macho Man and Honky Tonk's supposed to be the good guy. And you're just, it's something feels off. Indeed. As usual, Macho Man is also engaging heat by pointing at a certain place in yellow 
yelling at Elizabeth, get over there and get over here. So uh, he, he actually, before the match starts, he jumps out of the ring and points and says, stand right there. <laughs> Pick it up on the mic. He gets back into the ring and Honky Tonk Man puts his dukes up. So Macho Man's got to uh, retreat between the ropes to uh, get that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing that a lot this match. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, actually, he bails altogether. When uh, they do finally lock up, Macho Man quickly gets a go behind, which Honky Tonk Man reverses. Macho Man steps towards the ropes to break the hole. Another collar and elbow. Macho Man gets Honky Tonk's arms and gives it a twist. But as usual, whatever the bad guy can do, the face can do better. So Honky Tonk <laughs> Man grabs Macho Man's wrist and gives him a twist. Macho Man likes to grab hair. I would have thought that it'd be pretty hard to keep a hold of this oily, greasy hair. That's right. But uh, Macho Man does that a lot so that he can kind of control that, you know, the, the shuffling pacing, stumbling where they're, you know, sort of uh, jockeying for position, kind of wrestling for control. But Macho Man, when he grabs some hair, he's usually able to push a guy to the ropes for a whip or something like that. And that's what he does in this key, in this case. He pushes Honky Kong Man to the ropes, and then he pulls his usual intimidation stick. He scoots out onto the apron, and then he comes back in and climbs to the top rope. That's what I call the high and low. <laughs> And does the typical intimidating point at Honky Tonk Man. Like, oh, you're going to get it. Even though he's doing everything but fighting Honky Tonk. (laughs) And when he does this point, actually, from the top turnbuckle, there's a real pop from the crowd. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean just 20 guys in their 30s who are like, yeah, Macho Man's awesome. Like, the the crowd in general, like, gives a big... So they're they're really responding to Macho Man because they're not really getting behind Honky. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. They're they're excited to to cheer Macho Man. Another in-collar elbow lockup results in a side headlock by Honky Tonk Man. Macho Man once again grabs his hair. They trade headlocks. Honky Tonk Man finally uses an illegal tactic. He starts to cheat, and I told you, McMahon, this guy's no good. <laughs> well, he's Hogan's friend. <laughs> that's right. So the high side headlock is just such an opportunity to put a little fist in a guy's face. Yeah, I mean, that's one of Honky's go-to moves, even as a good guy. It's like headlock punch to the face is like number one offense. Yeah, and a- a Macho Man is awesome. He sells it by hitting the canvas and then scooting down to the ring, yeah. uh, outside of the ring. I think it's also important to note we're in Philly, and they're notorious for love and heels, so that's probably another reason why the crowd's a little bit more on the Macho Man side. That's a good point. Macho man's outside he he ducks like between the second and the third rope you know so yeah. that you, so that uh, the ref is supposed to back honky tonk man off but before he does that honky tonk man comes and he's got like a big mitt full of hair each temple and he's like oh, just yeah yeah yeah, I and, that. yeah. yeah and they, they, it just it's it's a good little vignette because uh yeah. you know the ref's counting on him to break the hold and macho man's just grimacing because he's <laughs> he's trying to hide yeah but he's getting his hair yanked and he's outside of the ring cowering and he's just at the honky tonk's <laughs> man mercy for a second but the ref does you know get to the forecast so honky tonk man breaks the hold honky tonk tries to get a little excitement from the crowd by pointing to them and like you know come on everybody but he's he's just not getting yeah they're not on his side yeah they're just not they're not getting revved up for him poor guy so after that little hair pulling incident we get another lock up and macho man brings a knee up into honky tonk man's guts and so that gives him an opportunity to grab honky tonk by the head and bring him over to the turnbuckle for a smash but no it's the classic honky <laughs> puts his boot onto the second turnbuckle to block yeah. and macho man gets a face full of turnbuckles and so <laughs> macho man's doubled over in the corner and honky tonk man looks like he's gonna get somewhere but flair uh, hogan pulls a bit of a Jesus, Flair Hogan. Macho Man pulls a bit of a flair kick to the groin that I oh, would yes, love yes. to see Hogan right. take, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, like when the guy's behind you and yes, you just yes. lift the, your heel lift. Yeah. right into his crotch. So this devastates Honky Tonk Man. And Macho Man, of course, is now going to be able to take advantage of this. You know, But hey, I'm saying Honky Tonk gives a fist first. 
That's right. It's a closed fist. That's an illegal maneuver. Macho Man's totally justified <laughs> in using that kick. So Honky even goes down. Yeah, Mach- yeah. He staggers backwards yeah. almost. Like, yeah. yeah, he tells it really well. Yeah. And you know, but I I didn't mention yet. Honky Tonk's got such huge shoulders. This yes, is like does, a, yeah. this guy looks like he could body slam probably Andre. If if you know yeah, if big, Harley big Race, back. yeah, big back, big yeah. back. You know, he's definitely looks like the stronger man of the two. Even though Macho Man's got those kind of like yeah, de- definition. Less, less impressive arms, let's say, but yeah, the, the torso, yeah, he's bigger chest, bigger back. Yeah, shoulders. Yeah, he's just got such a. He's got that triangle back. If anybody's got that, you know. Yeah. So anyway, he's got these. So honky tonk man is, uh, you know, not, not to be taken, uh, not to be taken lightly. Lightly, but in this case, the shot to the groin has really flattened him. So Macho Man climbs the top ropes and kind comes down with a double axe handle or the flying double chop. As uh, this is Dick Graham actually, <laughs> That's I, even right, though yeah. I mentioned Monsoon, he's not on the call. Yeah, yeah. And the crowd loves. The double axe handle. They really pop for this hit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can hear Macho Man's fan base is growing. Uh, growing. He goes for a two count, but doesn't get it. Macho Man picks up Honky Tonk and gives him an Irish rip into the corner. But we have a reversal. Savage takes the corner turnbuckles into the back. Honky Tonk Man charges in for the attack. <laughs> Savage gets out of the way, giving Honky Tonk the chance to do an Adonis flip. He does a 180 kind of flare bump. Wow, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I never saw, I didn't know that Honky had this in his repertoire. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels would certainly throw himself around a lot, but yeah. uh, another, you know, later addition to the, uh, the the flippy club. He takes the bump so well that Macho Man thinks, hey, I'm going to win. And he goes for a two count, or he goes for the three count, but he only gets a two count. <laughs> After this, Macho Man gives Honky Tonk a snapmare and then sets him up for a backslide plan, pin. But Dick Graham oddly calls it a test of strength. I'm not sure why, you know, when they're back to back, how that's going to be, you know. But yeah, anyway, it's more so, a test of leverage. <laughs> yeah. It does end up Honky Tonk gets Macho Man in a pinning position. Yeah. But uh, they're so close to the ropes that uh, Macho Man's essentially upside down and can just hook his feet under the top rope as it goes. Um, so even though his shoulders are on the mat, there's yeah. there's no pinfall. Now Macho Man's got a new attitude. He wants to shake Honky's hand. <laughs> it's like uh, he's finally earned a little respect for the Honky Tonk Man. But no, it doesn't happen. I think we're more likely to get shake, rattle, roll, even though actually that's not a part of Honky Tonk Man's repertoire at this point. We get a collar and elbow. They maneuver to the corner where the Honky Tonk Man gets uh, punches Macho Man, who... Sits down to it, goes down to it. You know, he really is selling these punches from Honky. He, uh, on the seat of his pants, Macho Man stands back up and Honky Tonk unloads, gives Macho Man a few punches that are so staggering that Macho Man doesn't know where he is. He just sees a shape in front of him and takes a swing, but it's Joey Morella who's light on his feet and ducks <laughs> under this, you know, really quick roundhouse by Savage. So that's a nice little spot that they practiced. Yeah, yeah. Now, Alfred Hayes, you know, uh, he's wise to Macho Man's tricks. He says... So often, the Macho Man's so clever. He uh, He's reeling. He really makes you think he's tired. He's beaten, but uh, oh, but no, he's not. And just right on cue, <laughs> Macho Man punches Honky in the gut. <laughs> and then he punches his face. And then gives him the uh, Macho Man elbow, a bionic elbow yeah, for those yeah. who know it that way. But a standing elbow. Yeah. And uh, not a Paul Under pointy elbow. He kind of uses the flat, you know. And, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, like a bionic elbow is a swinging. Paul Orndorff likes to kind of make it look like he's hitting you with the point, like a sharp yeah. object. Yeah. But Dusty would swing his elbow and hit you with the flat of it still. Yeah, okay, you yeah. Know? Um, and in UFC, when you, you know, that swinging elbow is what so often cuts people, right? Yeah. So this gives Macho Man a chance to cover. 
but no. <laughs> we have a, a back body drop attempt, but that, of course, results in a sunset flip where Honky Monk Tonk Man gets a two count. Macho Man takes Honky Tonk over to the top rope and presses his neck down on, on it. So he's essentially choking him. And then he does that whole like using the top rope to fling Honky Tonk Man right, yeah. to the uh, middle of the ring. Sling him into the ring. And then quick as a cat, the Macho Man scales the top rope and he comes <laughs> flying. Up. You might think at this point we're going for the big elbow for the finish. Yeah. But no, it's another double axe handle. Again, the crowd loves it when Savage delivers these successful double axe handles to the Honky Tonk Man. The crowd is cheering. They're, 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 I think they want Macho to win. <laughs> Hence why McMahon <laughs> about faced on Honky Tonk Man. I guess so. So Macho Man punches Honky Tonk a couple more times. He gives, us an, gives Honky Tonk the Irish whip. And he goes for a back body drop, but no, Honky Tonk Man kicks him instead. A boot to the face is what he gets. The Honky Tonk Man gives a body slam, which is no problem for a guy with all that upper body strength. And then he gives a fist drop from the second rope, and he goes for the pin. And he gets a one and a two, but Macho Man has got his foot on the rope, so he's not going to get the pinfall. The Honky Tonk Man puts aside headlock, and then he starts giving those fists to the forehead. Four of them, <laughs> bap, bap. Bap, bap, or more like thud, 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 thud. <laughs> There's another whip, and they have a shoulder block so close to the ropes that they do kind of, uh, they both take the hit. And one guy right. falls down into the middle of the ring, and the other guy falls outside to the apron. It is the honky-tonk man who is outside, as it goes, and he recovers, and a macho man gets to his feet. It always seems pretty easy for a guy to grab the ankles, heels of a guy who's standing in the ring and just yank him out because of the leverage and yeah. he'll always, you know, easy guy. Rey Mysterio can get Big Show out of the ring, <laughs> grab his ankles and yeah. pull him out of the ring. So now they're outside of the ring and they're battling, trading punches, trading blows. But of course, like a proper heel, uh, Macho Man gets the worst of this. So he, he's on the run and he's hiding behind <laughs> Elizabeth. <laughs> so, you know, such fantastic tactics. So when when Honk Tonk chasing him comes around the corner, he's not going to touch Elizabeth or hurt her. No. So he gets uh, puts a knee up on the apron, grabs the ropes, and he goes to get in. But that's when Macho Man punches him in the head, pulls him <laughs> down, and he scuttles into the ring really quickly. But at this point, the double count is at nine. So Macho Man beats the count. Honky Tonk fails it, gets counted <laughs> out, and it's a victory for Randy Macho Man Savage. <laughs> okay, as far as the after-in shtick, Honky Tonk Man isn't beaten up. He's he's complaining. You know, yeah, he's like, yeah, hey, yeah, you, you know, tricked. like, yeah, exactly. I was tricked. I was double crossed. And so he turns his back on Macho Man. <laughs> Stupid move. That's right. So Macho Man, you know, is in one corner and 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 he, he's able to do a really nice long run and give uh, the uh, double axe hand, a running double axe handle to dub, chop from uh, flying, if you will, but not off the ropes, just like running. In the air. Yeah. But uh, Honky Tonk Man. Doesn't sell. He's turning around. Wow, you no good. And uh, so Macho Man, you know, bails. And then Elizabeth is long gone. So the next thing you see is Macho Man grabs his belt and he jogs to the dressing room. And he's done with Honky. So, uh, yeah, interesting, you know, uh, an entertaining match. Uh, yeah. It just, it, it, to me watching the match, I'm like, Honky Donk doesn't have any babyface skills. Like, he doesn't, uh, his the way he wrestles doesn't fire the crowd up. And, the, and his, like, go-to move was, like, headlock, punch the face, you know? Like, and that's, like, something that's more of a heel move. So, it's interesting. He doesn't quite look like what you would think a hero would look like. Yeah. Well, 
Uh, lots of good times ahead with Honky Tonk. You know, the funny thing for me is like, you know, looking at this and thinking, oh, yeah, right, as if he's going to win the Intercontinental title belt just <laughs> like that. And then time will tell. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, part of the October 18th Wrestling Challenge, there's a really funny vignette, and there's a couple of them coming up, and I won't go over them too much in detail, but there's Paul Ondorf sort of out in public <laughs> and acting rude with people. So the first one is it's a Paul Ondorf like workout segment. And so he's helping people get fit, but he's really just like trash talking them and being like, look, you're doing it wrong and you do it like this. And like, you, you look terrible. <laughs> just, you know, all this stuff. And it's all these just regular people. And they're just, they're actually taking well and just being all smiley, but he's being, you know, it's just, it's just Paul Andorf working out in the machines, flexing his biceps and then going over to somebody else. And they're not using the equipment cr- correctly. And, you um, know, kind of reminds me of the time that they had a, a fake family pretend to be David Schultz's wife and okay, kids. Yeah. And he like at the breakfast table, he's like, what do you think you're doing in that? You don't eat your toast like that. And these kids are like trying to look scared, but they're giggling and sort of like, uh, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, but yeah. actually, apparently, the police, like somebody called the cops oh, and they well, thought he was, they were actually abusing children. I, I do remember him, that segment. I, for, I forget the whole part with the cops. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then we have another uh, one of these segments, and it's basically Orndorf going for treatments. It's like where he goes to get like his hair and his nails done and he's getting his feet soaked. And he's being a little bit more polite this time, but it's just sort of this weird, like, just off instead of him having a promo about Hogan. It's just keeping keeping him in your mind without just doing the typical wrestling stuff. Orndorff out on the town. Okay, so now we're at this. That was from an October 21st primetime episode. And on that episode, we get what turns out to be a pretty iconic Piper's Pit. So it's his first one after this whole schmoz of everything going on. So I mentioned already the construction of his set. So here he is. He's back out. The set looks the same, except for, like I said, now it's got that entrance in the middle. It's got all his... The picture of him in the background, it looks very similar to what it used to look like. So, of course, Piper comes out in his normal outfit and gear, grabs the mic, and the boss is back! He's <laughs> super happy to be there, and he brings out Jimmy Hart. But Jimmy comes out by himself, which uh, turns out not to be a very good idea for Jimmy. He's brave. Yes, and he comes out and he's like, you promised not to hit me! You promised, you promised! And he's like, oh, come on out here, I just want to talk to you, I just want to talk to you. So Jimmy's carrying a bunch of stuff. So for a man who doesn't want to get hit, Jimmy immediately turns into, you know, like the antagonist. So he hands Piper a crutch and he's got all these presents for him. So Piper tucks the crutch under his arm. So he gives him a gift. He, he opens up a box and it's a Hawaiian lei from like Don Morocco. And then apparently Mr. Fuji's giving him a pair of panties. I don't even want to know where that's coming from. <laughs> oh, the, the kilt, I guess. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, of course, yes. And they all chipped in for gifts. So this is all the stuff he's giving them. And then Ace with the pink hat. And, and Ace brought his rope so you can go hang yourself, <laughs> he tells Piper. Yikes. So, yeah. So Piper does this, like, ominous laugh after all of this, all these gifts are given. So it gets Hart to sit down, and Jimmy doesn't sit down right away. So he very forcefully sits him down in the chair. And Jimmy's very nervously laughing and looking around. And Piper wants to give him, you know, he's like, close your eyes. And, you know, I want to give you a gift. So, of course, Jimmy eventually obliges. Are they closed? Are they closed? Yeah, they're closed. They're closed. So then he ties Jimmy up with that rope in the chair. doesn't make much of a nod or anything. It's almost one of those just, like, loops it around twice, and that's apparently good enough. And Jimmy can't move. So Piper goes out through his little rear exit, and he gets his gift for Jimmy, which is that he's got a dirty mouth, and he thinks it's time to clean it out. So he brings back this big bottle of soap. And it's a pretty aggressive scene. He's like... Now you're going to drink this. And he's like, no, 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 no. So he pours liquid soap into Jimmy's mouth and he 
clamps his hand over his mouth and won't let him spit it out. And then he says, do you want to spit it out? And Jimmy's like, woo woo So he holds the cowboy Bob Orton hat out in front of him. Jimmy doesn't want to spit in cowboy's hat. So, but eventually Piper smacks him in the back of the head. So whatever's left of this soap or probably water comes out into the hat. It's pretty iconic. And the, the lasting memory, because I think it got onto one of those montages, is when Piper says, basically, you know, if they, if they want to know about his bad leg and he throws the crutch, and then he hops off on one, on the one leg, like he hops off on the bad leg, like, you know, one leg at a time, kind of, and leaving Jimmy tied up and mer- <laughs> at the mercy of the crowd. So, yeah, that, that scene, I don't remember the Piper's pit that well. I, I remember Piper hopping away. That's the iconic moment from that, that set. Huh. Hot and heavy in the Boston Garden almost some two years ago, but, you know, earlier on in that match, Bobby, did you notice the uh, junkyard dog had Valentine flat on his back? Referee was not there to make the count. Reminded me an awful lot. If I, in fact, I didn't know better, I might have thought that Danny Davis was refereeing that match. Danny's been doing some strange things of late here in the world. He's been doing an admirable, admirable job, considering uh, he's a referee. You know, referee's job isn't uh, the easiest in the world. A lot of those guys aren't the brightest. I, I agree with what you're saying. However, he's doing some very unorthodox things in there. Things I think that uh, go far beyond the realm of what a professional wrestling referee is supposed to do. And in fact, Jack Tunney taking a very close look at the situation. Well, I know Danny Davis, he's gotten on my case before. He hasn't given me any extra uh, leverage one way or the other. Why would he give you? You never pay anything. You always owe everybody everything. Right now, wrestling fans are going to a special oh, interview with Ken Resnick and the Killer Bees. At 1962 World Series, I had nothing to do yeah. with that. <laughs> That's going to take us to an October 25th Wrestling Challenge segment. And we got the snake pit with the Honky Tonk Man. Well, there's going to be a much more famous honky on the snake pit. Of course. But in this one, I feel bad for Honky because he comes out again. He's supposed to be a face and uh, he just takes a bunch of insult from Jake. Obviously, Honky Tonk was told, you know, but you can't actually attack him, but he should. I mean, the insults, any other self-respecting face would pop Jake in the mouth. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, what kind of a man are you? Your mama's disappointed. I feel bad. Honky's just got to be like, hey, don't bring my mama into this. And yeah, enough taunting that, you know, just smack him already is what I feel Honky should do. Right. The, the booking is not that, you know, it's, it's more um, this sort of awkward time where Honky's looking for the approval of the fans, but he doesn't really have it. Jake does. Jake's a jerk and being cheered for it. This whole segment, not much fun to watch. Jake be a bully, you know, at this point. There's nothing that you, there's nothing that Honky Tonk has done for us to be like, oh, we hate you. It's just Jake being an ass. Oh, yeah. Well, Honky Tonk is doing an Elvis impersonation. Fine. So Jake's like, I'm an innovator, not an imitator. That's about, but he'll say that in any promo anyway, anytime. This is the one time it's appropriate. (laughs) Really, I wanted Jake to kick Honky's ass in my memory, but watching this, I'm on Honky's side. And when would anyone say that? Well, there's so much controversy over Danny Davis. We had a chance to talk to Dave Hepner and get his views. You know, it's a tough job being a referee. You can't have eyes in the back of your head. When you do tag team matches, it's rough. You can't see everything that's going on. It's hard. Managers are in the ring. It's hard for the referee. But I think Danny Davis should be up for review. I concur with that. See, he threw the blame because of his incompetence to managers. He's blaming us because he can't do his job. And he's worried about Danny Davis. He just doesn't want Danny Davis to keep his job so he'll get more work. That's all it is. Please. I know. Okay, October 28th, we're in Binghamton, New York, or whatever it is. It's the first taping of Superstars of Wrestling. So there had been 
pre obviously episodes of Superstars Wrestling before this, but the matches on those shows were taped at other tapings, you know, part of other TV tapings. This is the first time they're truly recording matches specifically for this show, and okay. it's you know all going to be from the same location and okay. look the way we're used to it, right? We were always used to watching a show where every squash match was in the same arena, and unless they specifically told us they were showing us a clip from somewhere else, whereas Wrestling Challenge, let's say, would they're just bouncing all over the place. You're you know you're watching matches here, there, there, and everywhere. This is the first time they have the uh, the WF banners were hung from the rafters is something we're all used to as our kids kids so that that taping is the first time we see those we also got the return of rick martell and the debut of tom zink is the can-am connection on this this taping is good guy squashing some uh, some jobbers and they were a neat team at the time didn't work out for them it seemed like they had big things ahead of them yeah i was excited when i saw that yeah. uh, definitely can-am uh, you know we're cheering rick martell we wanted him to go places in the wwf for sure Another again because he had exactly been a former yeah. tag team champion <laughs> exactly uh, so Stud and Bundy in an important match uh, defeat the Super and Big Machine. And this is of note because it's Lou Albano's last match as a manager during this whole stretch. He will make a reappearance, I believe, sometime in the late 90s or something like that. But uh, as far as this whole original run, this is the end of the road for Lou as a manager. Not the last time we're going to see him. You know, he's got another little bit coming up. But as far as being in the corner, this is his last go. The his- machines also are going to fade really yeah, quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I came across a clip. I don't remember what show it was on. It was literally just like some ham, you know, hamming it up stuff. It was uh, the machines trying to buy a compact car, you know, like you know, just in a nice. car lot and them trying to get in the car and they couldn't get in the car and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, well, but, I may as well tell you this story that I, I can't remember who was telling it. Might have been, might have been Jake. So, apparently, at one point, Blackjack Mulligan and Dick Murdoch were uh, the bookers, but they also were the, um, investors and the money guys in a place and they decided one time when Andre showed that they were like we're not going to pay him oh jeez yeah and uh they thought ah the two of us we can you know cuz black jack mulligan is is yeah, a yeah. very big guy very big man a big machine andre's partner in this scenario but right. you know in this story he decides he's going to stiff andre so wow. andre comes to the bar and they just tell him that uh you know what are you going to do about it we're not going to you know we're taking half your cut or something and, you know, they're ready to fight. So apparently Andre throws them each through a plate glass window. What? Yeah. And then puts them in the trunk of a taxi. Then they're knocked, And they're knocked unconscious either before or after or by that. Oh, my God. And he puts them in a trunk of a taxi, gets in the, gets in the cab. Yeah. Goes to the hospital, takes the unconscious Blackjack Mulligan and Dick Murdoch <laughs> to the emergency room and says, Fix my friends and send them back to the bar. <laughs> and he went back and kept drinking oh my God. until they showed up and later <laughs> conscious and paid him his money wow I, I'd heard of Blackjack and Andre getting in a fight I, I don't think I heard those details and I don't, so I don't know if they got in more than one fight or if uh, you'd think you wouldn't uh, try that again <laughs> maybe that's the one fight <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, what did you hear? I don't Anything even remember different? the details. Just that, yeah, that Blackjack got bullied up, trying to bloodied up, trying to trying to fight Andre. wasn't a good idea. <laughs> okay, adds up. <laughs> yeah. So there's an October 28th primetime airing, and it's, it's actually it's interesting because primetime would sometimes show stuff. Well, all the, all the cards would do this. They would show matches sometimes like out of out of order, out of you know older stuff. Like, I'll see it as I'm going through the tapings. I'll be like, there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, that airs, let's say, three, four weeks after it's taped. And then one of the matches all of a sudden is like, you know, isn't airing until like next year. You're like, whoa, why is that? So this is one of those examples. So there's a June match that airs on this October 28th primetime. It's Bundy versus JYD. So remember, this is back in June. So basically, 
Danny Davis is the ref, and he incorrectly DQs the dog for using the chain. And when you watch the match, it's quite hilarious because Bundy keeps getting the chain and hitting dog with it, and then dog's like fighting with them to get it back. And eventually, at one point, Bundy leaves the ring because Dog just has the chain, and Danny Davis has got both hands on the chain trying to take it away from him, and, and Junkyard Dog, you know, effectively does a basically hip toss, let's call it, like with the chain, like by just flips Danny Davis, and then Danny Davis, you know, disqualifies him, and it, you know, it's it's pretty funny because like it's just it's that really early like you know there's no other examples back then on tv like back on tv danny davis was still squeaky clean but like because they're taping this to show later on when they're got to get into the whole danny davis storyline it's already happening so if you were like super super into stuff you might be kind of confused if you were that you know carefully following things being like okay well the next week danny davis must be a bad guy now and then it's like oh wait a minute he's just a normal ref for you know a couple more months so it's pretty neat. But that that was on there. So it's trying to just try to track Danny Davis's, you know, change and lineage here. Another important note, I like this one. So we're November 1st. It's the Winnipeg Arena. It's a sellout for Hogan versus Paul Orndorff. 15,000 people. When the WF first started doing house shows in Winnipeg in 86, they weren't getting the greatest crowds. They were probably doing slightly worse than the EWA was doing. But not this one. This is the one that blew them all away. <laughs> and, uh, but also, on the undercard, Buddy Lane <laughs> fought Les Thornton to a draw. <laughs> yes, Buddy. Yeah, that's right. My man in yeah. front of that epic crowd. Well, he deserved to be in front of that crowd. I hope they put on a sizzler. Yeah, yeah. Les Thornton was the tag team guy for Mick Foley when the Bulldogs beat the crap out of him. So okay, he's this stocky British guy, like pretty, mm. pretty fit. Pretty. I wonder if they had older. any uh, junior titles on the line to spice yeah. it up. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> so also on November first in Boston, which would have aired on the uh, Nessen N E S N network, we've got a really important match, and this stitches together. This closes the loop of like why during the Piper feud, you know, I knew he fought Orton. Obviously, he fought Adrian Adonis at WrestleMania 3, but why didn't Don Morocco ever get his comeuppance? Well, here it is. So the match I never got to see as a kid or adult or young adult or anything has finally come to roost. Don Morocco versus Piper, and I just I never got to see them really mix it up other than Morocco doing the beatdown on him and threatening him at other times, you know, and stuff like that, but never this one-on-one. Roddy Piper versus the world. That's right. So we hear Roddy's music. But we don't see Roddy. We see Morocco coming out with Mr. Fuji. Because in this era, Cowboy Bob Orton and Morocco were wearing kilts. They were doing this whole shtick where they were playing Roddy's music, wearing his kilts, trying to, like, you know, make fun of him and stuff like that. So, and Don Morocco's got this big, bushy beard. I don't know if you saw any of this any of the footage no. of him from this era, but no. uh, yeah, it's a really, really thick beard. Normally you would have the, the, the five o'clock shadow or whatever more than the, or a clean shaved face, but uh, it really, really stands out. So of course, Piper comes out to the same, you know, the same music, his music, but he's, he, do, he doesn't trust them. So when he gets up on the apron, he takes his shirt off when he's still on the apron. And Lord Alfred Hayes is commenting how that's smart because, you know, he knows that people with Fuji and Morocco in the ring, there's a good chance they're going to, like, sneak attack him. So as soon as Piper steps through the ropes, he's already undone his kilt, but he hasn't taken it off yet. And Don Morocco decides to mockingly throw his kilt at Piper. So Piper does the old whip and twirl of his kilt and then smothers Don Morocco's face and goes to work with all those boxing skills and punches him down to the ground, is beating him down. So Don Morocco's... On the ground, getting his ass kicked, which he's going to... It's a position he'll be in for most of this match. I love it. That's right. 
So he stomps him and punches him and rams his face in the turnbuckle and just levels him with the right hand. And Morocco just does a perfectly time off this punch, the spit take, you know? So it like mm-hmm. the huge spit going, it almost looks like a tooth flying through the air or something like that. <laughs> if they can time it right, it always looks good. Roddy stands him up and gives him the clap with the biceps, you know, like the old, ah, I'm going to, you know, spike your ears or whatever, you know, right. cla- clap your hands around the guy's head and his your your biceps it's, smack him inside. You're doing there. sonic damage. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So The Rock tries to fight back, so Roddy just thumbs him in the eye, because that's what Roddy does. And then he uses the ropes for momentum and just floors him with this punch, and Don goes down. And the ref is warning Piper about the fist, so he threatens to punch the ref, you know, as one does. <laughs> Hot head. Hot rod. <laughs> that's right. So as the staggered Morocco was just helpless, then you, you know, Piper does his classic three stooges, you know, eye poke, boop, he waits for him to, you know, yeah. turn around and give him, the, give, him the, give him right in the eyes. And that's followed up by a rare Piper dropkick. Oh, don't yeah. see much of that. Calling out his baby's face skills here, you know. So Don oversells this drop kick by like diving into the corner on top of the ropes, stomach first, you know, laying across the ropes in the turnbuckle. And Roddy Piper runs over and gives him like the field goal, the 50-yard field goal, <laughs> kicks him. But Morocco, instead of going out of the ring, he just lands on the apron on his feet. So he's still, uh, you know... But that also leaves him in proximity to keep getting hit. <laughs> Maybe mm. going outside would have been better. So another punch just knocks Morocco to the floor, and Piper follows him out and grabs our favorite... The double chair. <laughs> this, ah. is the, this is the location with the two chairs connected yeah. together. So he's got them set up. He doesn't hit them. He doesn't like take the chair and hit Morocco with it, but he does take Morocco and smash his face onto the chairs right, like, right in front of the ref. And you're kind of wondering, like, eh, it's not no disqualification. Like, why the, is this? The love chair, let's call it, the side by side. That's right. Date night. <laughs> and he also does, Roddy clears the, the nostrils on him, <laughs> the old farmer snot or whatever you want to call it. Doesn't look, doesn't look good for Morocco. So Morocco's back up on the apron and Piper's biting him. So he's really just, you know, and so at this point, Morocco really hasn't landed a blow of any significance. Piper's really giving it to him. So Morocco sets himself up for what I'm going to call an Adonis type bump. For some reason, he starts to get back in the ring, but his torso's out of the ring and both his feet are like over the, to- the second rope and in the ring. So now he's got the the... So Piper comes over and smashes him and it's like a weeble wobble, you know, he's like flipping back and forth up and down, like holding onto the ropes. And then Piper runs and does another punch and, and Morocco's just completely like hanging upside down. Just, you know, if he'd let go, he'd fall out of the ring, but he's, he's holding on. When he gets back to his feet, Piper delivers a, ni- a knife-like strike to his throat. And as Morocco slips back in, that's when Roddy clacks his head in the corner with a head blo- headlock and runs out with a running bulldog. So the first real significant actual wrestling move here. Lord Alfred Hayes is really impressed. He doesn't remember seeing Piper do a, a bulldog before, but I kind of remember Piper doing lots of bulldogs, so I'm not sure I agree with Mr. Hayes' assessment there. At this point, Monsoon starts talking about Piper's maybe taking too much time, and of course that leads to, once he gets Morocco set up in the corner for a big punch, the ref decides he's seen enough of these closed hands, so he steps in and hooks Roddy's arm, which leaves that opening for Morocco to counter with an eye strike. And that drops Roddy, and he really sells it. And when we talk about how Roddy sometimes doesn't sell offense, but this one really damages him. Rocco gives Piper a kick. He throws him outside, and that's where Gorilla says, the momentum has swung 360 degrees. And I'm like thinking, well, if it swung 360 degrees, wouldn't Piper be back in? <laughs> wouldn't he have the momentum? What's going on here? You are correct. <laughs> At this point, Morocco's distracting the ref with Piper outside. So Mr. Fuji gets in some work. He gets two different cane shots into into Piper and Piper is desperately trying to get back up on the apron and Morocco keeps running over and kneeing and kicking him off and this happens about three or four times in a row in really quick succession Roddy's kind of like Tasmanian devil out there trying to get up on the apron but like Morocco keeps nailing him and the fourth one is funny because Piper actually he's by the aisle so he runs away from the ring towards these couple of cops and then he turns around and he runs back to the ring and he dies between like the bottom and the second rope and he tackles Don Morocco and he's on top of him just pounding away and then he bites him 
And at this point, we can see Piper's face is bleeding. Pardon me, I missed one more thing. Morocco had gone outside before he did all those knockdowns, and he put Piper's head into the into the post. He picked him up in a really awkward position and kind of launched him into the post head first. So this is where we're getting this blood from. I didn't didn't get to see the chance where maybe Piper might have bladed himself or something. But so when Piper's done biting Morocco, now Morocco's bleeding, and Morocco's bleeding way more than Piper is. Like at first, I almost thought it was Piper's blood on Morocco because he's laying on top of him. But no, it turns out they're they're both bleeding at this point. Kind of strange for an '86 match of WWF. You don't usually get a lot of blood, so a bit of a bloodbath. So at this point, they're standing toe to toe, exchanging blows, and Piper does this really nice duck. And that's when he starts using his fast boxing skills and he starts doing that one-handed like backhand punch or whatever it is and all that kind of stuff. Piper delivers a suplex and gets a two count on the first pin attempt of the match. And then Piper lands a uh, right hand on, which knocks Morocco out of the ropes to the apron. And Roddy lifts him back in like a body slam, like he's going to try and body slam him in. And this is where Mr. Fuji gets in and strikes Piper in the stomach with his cane. So Piper falls backwards with, Pipe, with Morocco on top of him for a two count. When he kicks out, he immediately gets up and scoots over and dives through the ropes and grabs Mr. Fuji. And he pulls Mr. Fuji, the devious one, back up onto the apron. And you can see Roddy's really keeping an eye on Morocco. So he's, he's, he's delaying the punch, waiting for Morocco. He's, he's setting a trap. So Morocco comes flying in to attack Piper from behind. Piper moves out of the way. Morocco nails Fuji. And Piper does the schoolboy roll-up for the one, two, three. And he immediately gets out of the ring and runs down the, the aisle to get back to the dressing room. To make sure there isn't any more of this Adonis, Orton, Morocco, Fuji team up. Get the job done. Get out of there. That's right. From this same card, there's a British Bulldogs versus Heart Foundation match. A title, title defense for the Bulldogs. Anytime I can find a Bulldogs match I've never seen before, I'm pretty excited. Uh, after watching this match, not as excited. <laughs> so we're not going to cover it blow for blow. We're just going to cover a few things. There's a couple of neat stuff in it. Kind of just cover the, the ending, the, the finish. But the pre-match stuff is pretty funny. There's, at this point, the Bulldogs have Matilda, their mascot. <laughs> and she likes right. to chase the managers around. So Jimmy Hart's doing some great shtick. I also noticed they have the red and blue. That's in one of the matches. This match, they actually are wearing the double blue. Oh, but okay. you're, you're right. There is a there is a red and blue coming up. So this is Jimmy after getting chased out of the ring. He runs over to Monsoon's desk and he's calling, Monsoon's calling Jimmy a coward. And he's like, he's got a German Shepherd in there. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny because not a German Shepherd. So there's, you know, some of the highlights. There's one spot just right at the very beginning, actually. They trap Dynamite Kid in the corner and they're double teaming him a little bit of a choke and Anvil and Brett are giving him punches and choking and But... Dynamite just fires up and just kicks, punches, elbows, headbutts, and basically batters both men to the point where they're both laid out flat on the ground, one on the apron, one in the ring. <laughs> Dynamite just walks out to the middle of the ring like, come get some. So that was really great. Once Davy Boy gets in, though, it's going to be after a bit of a test of strength with Anvil. He gets caught on when he tries a crossbody, so Anvil is sl- gives him a hard slam, and then they just basically torture him for the rest of the match. They beat him up pretty bad. There's a demolisher and stuff like that, which Dynamite has to come in and get that kick out of. And I also noted that the Heart Foundation have their pink stripe. So they've, they've still got the clothes they've been wearing mostly for the last chunk of the year. We haven't seen the real pink yet. The ref in this match is really bad because the storyline is, is that the heels are supposed to basically get do things that draw Dynamite Kid in so that they can double team behind the ref's back. But it's really silly that the way that like the ref is like so adamant about Dynamite leaving yet he doesn't try to make the heels leave when both of them are in there. Like, all Brett has to do is just point his finger at Dynamite, even when Dynamite hasn't even left the apron yet. There's one point where, like, literally, they're double-teaming Davey Boy in the ring. Dynamite hasn't even come in yet. 
and the ref's like trying to get Brett to leave and Brett just points a dynamite and then the ref goes over and talks to him for like a minute. It's just like, what? Like, come on. <laughs> so Davey Boy, you know, he takes one of those uh, shoulder bumps like in the corner, like the double reversal whip where they whip Nightheart in like shoulder tackle. They give him like a double DDT, which is a move that I've seen them do later. But Anvil doesn't clearly know what's going on here because he's got Davey Boy in a suplex position and, <laughs> and Bret Hart's got him in a DDT position and then they go to do the move. And it ends up looking more like the uh, Roddy Piper DDT from like the first main event, you know, like it ends up being more of a flip over suplex than a DDT. But right. knowing what I see later with them, I know what they were trying to go for. <laughs> I could just imagine Bret Hart bitching Jim out in the dressing room after the match going like, man, you screwed that spot up. <laughs> yeah. This is what we're doing. <laughs> so they get Davey Boy in a sleeper, Bret Hart that is, and he's going down. But of course, before that third arm drop can happen, he gets back up. He lifts Bret Hart on his back and rams him into the corner. And finally makes the hot tag to Dynamite Kid. So we get a lot of great offense here from Dynamite. Comes in, kicking, punching, double noggin knockers. It's time for headbutts. It's time for snap suplexes. It's time for all this stuff. Oh, I missed one really cool spot. So we all know the the greasy hair Bret Hart hair whip spot, right? So the Bulldogs are grabbing by the hair, whip them up like they're shaking out a towel, slam them down to the ground. I've seen Bret Hart give Dynamite the hair whip. But in this match, Jim Neidhart gave Davy Boy the hair whip. <laughs> wow. It, it didn't quite look the same. They couldn't quite get the, mo- the momentum on it, but pretty neat. So yeah, Dynamite gets his, uh, his decapitation clothesline, if you know the one I'm talking about. He just runs in and just clocks Bret Hart. Whips Bret to the corner. No sternum bump, just a regular one. Gives him the snap suplex, like I said. Falling headbutt. Now he's got his sleeper in, and this is where we're... We're getting to the end of the match. So Anvil, with the ref with his back to Anvil, Anvil gets up on the second rope to break up the sleeper. He jumps in with this, like, forearm smash on Dynamite, but he basically lands on the ref at the same time to do it. So he knocks the ref out, and the ref is going to sell this for a long time. So Davy Boy tries to come back in, but this is Davy Boy's, like, literally, like, can barely stand, so he just takes a kick to the gut and gets thrown out. And he's on the camera side. You can see him on the ground. He can't even get up. Anvil puts Brett on Dynamite for the pin and tries to get the ref. And the ref crawls over really slow. One. Really slow count. Two. And Dynamite kicks out at like two and a half. So then Anvil picks up and then the ref, and it's funny, the ref, the ref passes out immediately after the count. <laughs> he goes back to being unconscious. <laughs> One more beer. So Anvil picks up Dynamite, slams him, puts Brett back on top of him. Davey Boy at this point is laying on the apron, but not in the ring yet. He's still like acting completely dead. And they wake the ref up again. Really slow count. One, two, two and a half, kick out. And then Anvil's protesting. Davy Boy gets up, walks over, does a reverse roll up on Anvil, and the ref goes, one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh, boy. So neither neither Anvil or Davy Boy are the legal men. <laughs> Ridiculous. So they win the match, but they lose the war. The Heart Foundation kicked the shit out of them afterwards and pile drive dynamite. Oh. And David Wade does this really weak comeback, and then the Hart Foundation leaves. So, yeah, I was pretty pretty pissed off at this this match and the booking and stuff like that. But it's what they did. You had to wonder where they were going with it. That's going to bring us to a November 1st Wrestling Challenge episode, and it's the, it's the playback, the sequel. Billy Jack Haynes got screwed, so he gets another title shot against our man, Macho Man Randy Savage. As you said, this is a rematch, and the title this time is on the line. Randy Macho Man Savage defends the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship against Billy Jack Haynes. So Billy's got that really nice gold-looking jacket. It honestly looks like it's probably worth some money. Melt it down, take yeah, it yeah. to the, you know, the Smith, and say, "Hey, I got pure gold." Savage is wearing gold himself, a gold and black sequined robe. So he's very shiny this time. He learned his lesson from that honky tonk. He's not. He's not going to get out shiny again. <laughs> 
by Billy Jack or Honky Tonk or anybody. There is a little inset promo, not Elizabeth this time. It's Macho Man responding to the controversy of the first match. And, of course, he's just talking about how he's one more one, one more controversy. (laughs) And now he's going to beat Billy Jack and put an end to all the controversy, and it's going to be wonderful. As Savage comes to the ring, he's getting cheered. I honestly think he's getting a face pop. Billy Jack's already in the ring, so he doesn't have any entrance music that we really know of, but this is proper. The champion should come out second. That's how it should be. When Savage gets that robe off, he's almost in a mega power uh, color sequence (laughs) because he's got the red knee pads, yellow boots, and red trunks. Uh And they're not that sort of the way that Hogan winds up with a kind of shiny fabric trunks where Macho Man didn't have that sort of, I don't know, more of a just regular cloth as opposed to like the the shiny Lex Luger. Lex Luger also always had those (laughs) shinies. It's like you recall a different sort of fabric. Gorilla and the Brain are complaining about Dan... Well, Gorilla's complaining about Danny Davis, you know, in the opening seconds of this encounter, and the brain is the foil, of course. And then part of the, what I'm really enjoying about this podcast is the ongoing the ongoing friendship between Monsoon and Heenan, as we've talked about in other episodes. And in this one, Gorilla goofs, and his friend, on-air enemy, Bobby Heenan, covers for him immediately because he doesn't want to embarrass Gorilla. He wants this show to be smooth. And Gorilla kind of like just has a brain fart. At one point, Bobby Heenan's like saying, Danny Davis, he's fine. He's great. And then Gorilla gets indignant and goes, hey, this is one of the first times ever anybody in the history of the WWF has put the title on the line. (laughs) And Bobby, quick as he can, he says, on a televised program. Yes, you're right, Monsoon. Absolutely. You know, it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. You know, the brotherly love between these right. two guys. And then, and Monsoon, and he's like, well, would Harley Race put his crown on the line? Stud and Bundy, would they put it on the line on TV? Like, they don't acknowledge yeah, 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 it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You just know it's a good man looking out for his friend. Who, That's neat, yeah. Just a little, little goof. Anyway, I appreciate that for sure. So there's no stalling. Savage doesn't pull his usual tactics. They they lock up almost immediately. Okay. Usually it takes you know like three or four spots, <laughs> you know, before the match starts. But right. uh, none of that. They, they get into the action almost right away to a rest hold. <laughs> <laughs> Macho Man puts an arm ringer on him. Yeah. But of course, as we pointed out earlier, anything you can do, I can do better. Billy Jack puts reverses it. Arm ringer on Macho Man. We get a side headlock from Billy Jack, but you know, Billy Jack does have an impressive physique and he grinds his forearm in. He just becomes like, you know, the the, the massage chair at the mall. Like he just becomes this <laughs> gyrating, like really digging his forearm to the point where Macho Man drops to his knees and it becomes like a sitting side headlock and uh, it's just really working that pressure. It's a neat way of, of putting a side headlock. It, it looks more like a medium move as opposed to a rest hold. Right, right. This, this side headlock. They get back to their feet, and Macho Man pushes Billy Jack. To escape from the headlock, he pushes Billy Jack into the ropes. But this this allows a flying move. It's a shoulder block, which, of course, Billy Jack comes out the better on. <laughs> Macho Man goes flying. He gets clobbered. But he gets back up right away. And Billy Jack puts another side headlock on Macho Man. But Macho Man, right up at the back of uh, Billy Jack's skull, grabs the hair. So he's kind of controlling where the scuffle, where they're walking, you know. So right. the, even though he's in a side headlock, Macho Man uh, uses this hair pulling leverage to take them to the ropes, which leads to a uh, ref count. And so the ref breaks the hold. And when the ref breaks the hold, we get a dirty break from Macho Man. He knees. <laughs> Uh, Billy Jack, right in the kidney area. It's always helpful when Gorilla tells me what's going on as, <laughs> as I'm writing my notes. Thank you, Gorilla. 
And this gives Ed the Macho Man the advantage over Billy Jack. Ha ha ha. So he performs an Irish whip to Billy Jack into the turnbuckles. And this is good enough to get a two count. Yes. And then Billy, uh, Bobby asks, hey, what's that say on Billy Jerk's trunks anyway? And he's like, well, I believe that's Oregon, Brain." He says, he's, oh, good. Although no one is certain where to send the body when Macho Man's done with him. <laughs> so Macho Man body slams Billy Jack Haynes and uh, covers him just for a one count this time. And then uh, Billy Jack is on the mat and Macho Man delivers a standing Double axe handle to the back of the head, dropping down and, and giving Billy Jack lots of punishment. It's great. Macho Man looks in fine form. Macho Man performs a snapmare and then what I like to call the Pedro knee. So <laughs> The Pedro knee. Yeah. Billy Jack's on the canvas. Macho Man jumps up. And when he's at the height uh, of his, you know, uh, of his jump for yeah. the a knee drop, and then boom. Like there's just that perfect between. Jump, clap. Boom. So, yeah. Pedro. Pedro Malarales, who does the clap before he punches you in the gut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Okay. Yeah. He's one of the most famous clappers. That's right. So, that's the Pedro knee. And it's one of Macho Man's great moves. You know it's coming. But even the blind guy can take that bump. Ooh. It's coming. I know it's coming. He throws Billy Jack out of the ring. Climbs up to the third rope and the crowd is excited. They love, they already, they love seeing Macho Man up on the top well, rope. Well, yeah, because they don't see it from anybody else, so yeah. it's special. And he's pointing to the sky and he comes down from the top rope to the uh, the arena floor with the double axe handle and clobbers Billy Jack Haynes. It really sells for it. It's great. And Billy Jack's just like, ah, in agony. So Macho Man has time to taunt somebody from the crowd <laughs> from like the third row who can't possibly get to him. He's like, come here, you know, points at his face and he's like, come here, you know. Not this chip, knock this chip off my shoulder. But the guy can't get him. He actually, he's off camera too, but uh, it's great. Macho Man throws Billy Jack Haynes back into the ring and follows him. And uh, right away, he goes for a pin and hooks the leg. And it's only a two count as a monsoon. You're not going to get him that way. We have a vertical suplex attempt by Macho Man, but it gets reversed. And Billy Jack gets to do some damage to Macho Man. But Billy Jack has still been injured so badly that he's not up right away taking control. He just, you know, slows down Macho Man. So Macho Man gets back uh, after he recovers from this move. And Macho Man gives him a kick, backs him into the rope to give him an Irish rip. But Billy Jack won't go, holds him to the top rope. So Macho Man says, oh yeah, gives him an elbow. Now you go. And then he whips Billy Jack for a... Reversal. So it's Macho Man who goes into the rope, and then Billy Jack picks him up for a beautiful backbreaker where he just kind of grabs him under one knee and under one, the waist, right, really fluidly, almost like yeah, a guy slipping on a banana peel. Macho yeah, Man's heat sort of goes the, up. The Bret Hart style. Yeah, like the and cradle, cradle backbreaker. Yeah. Yeah, cradle backbreaker. And then brings his spine, it's a proper back, not the side, yeah. not the ribs. <laughs> backbreaker. Yeah. So it looks great. Billy Jack is still selling hurt. Right. So now both of them are kind of on one knee and like hitting the small of their back. It's like me in the morning, like, oh, that's scoliosis. <laughs> ah, 50 years old plus one. Ah. <laughs> anyway, what's fun is a couple of times Bobby Heenan says, you know, well, Billy Jack should have covered him. Yeah, I believe he would have had him right there, but he's not that bright. <laughs> Macho Man goes to body slam Billy Jack Haynes, but Billy Jack blocks it. And then, like you said, boy, does Billy Jack have a beautifully fluid gorilla press he doesn't hold him up there like you know and and uh, yeah. not a lot of fanfare but full extension of both arms yeah and yeah he just you know it looks like uh, pure olympic athleticism so the <laughs> awesome press slam macho man takes that and 
Macho Man's kind of recovering in the corner. When Billy Jack comes to get him, Macho Man does kind of a side, you know, sneaky thrust kick to get uh, the upper hand. Then Macho Man whips Billy Jack into the ropes. And sometimes Macho Man's bad for telegraphing. He holds his clothesline arm allegedly up there like a, you know, half cooked spaghetti noodle. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it would, it's not, you know, it's about as threatening as winning the marathon and the, 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 the hitting the ribbon at the end of a, a tape, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. when the first person to win the race breaks through that ribbon, you know, like, <laughs> so he's just limply holding his arm up there. It's not, you know, which of course is a signal Billy Jack ducks under this alleged Colo's line <laughs> and gets a full Nelson on Macho Man and uh, right in the middle of the ring. And, uh, you know, Elizabeth's not the kind of manager to, uh, you know, go <laughs> stepping in the ring or throwing in foreign objects or anything no. like that. So Macho Man's on his own when it happens. Danny Davis picks up the arm once. It drops. He picks up the arm twice. And as he's about to let go of Macho Man's arm for the second one, Macho Man brings up his other arm and kind of does a uh, quarter turn, which gives uh, Danny Davis a smack. Not a, not a knockout blow. By any right. means, because Davis really only stumbles. He doesn't even hit the canvas. Right, right. To the point where Davis is looking around and decides to call for the bell. <laughs> and then he uh, he watches more full Nelson. He just kind of watches it for a little bit. And then he pats Billy Jack on the shoulder. His, mouths are, his mouth is moving, but we don't know what he's saying. Anyway, right. Billy yeah. Jack thinks he's won the title. That's right. New champ. Yeah. So he drops Savage. Mel Phillips has the microphone outside and he says... What's going to happen? Well, I mean, before he can really explain, Danny Davis does something I've never really seen before. He comes out, grabs the microphone from Mel Phillips oh, and okay, says, yeah. I'm disqualifying Billy Jack Haynes. So Macho Man's still the champion. And he says it in a kind of rude tone of voice. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It's really bizarre, but uh, so clear that Danny Davis is on his way to bigger things. Yeah, yeah. He's basically trying to make it out that Billy Jack Haynes in jerking Savage around in the full Nelson hit... Yeah, like it was because he did it, not because Savage. (laughs) Of course, and Gorilla Monsoon is arguing that Savage did that on purpose to get himself disqualified, and and uh, Bobby Heenan is uh, well, he likes it no matter what, (laughs) even if he did. Brilliant. (laughs) So uh, great match. Yeah, and I sure do love. Yeah, uh, I'm now finding that my almost my favorite combo now is Monsoon and Heenan. You know, yeah, yeah. I I I didn't really know just how good they were because I only I didn't get to hear them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, you know, got to hear them different ways, but we didn't get them week to week. You know, Jesse and McMahon are great. Um, They're great, but there's a warmth and a friendship between right. these two that, yeah. that, you know, now I know of it that I, I just always want to, you know, hear that, you know, yeah. especially like Heenan covering for Gorilla quietly yeah. and subtly. I wonder if somewhere out there there's a Billy Jack Haynes beating up Danny Davis match down the road because that's a double screw job by Danny Davis. Like basically Davis screwed him out of the title. I guess the other one was a non-title match, but you get the point. Yep. Okay, this same Wrestling Challenge episode is going to have another edition of the Snake Pit. And his guest is the Originator. Jake the Snake, smooth, cold, calculated talker that he is, is a natural host for a segment where he has other wrestlers and managers on. But in this case, as you say, uh, it is the new versus the old in regards to Piper's Pit versus Jake's Snake Pit. So Jake is in civilian clothes, not his wrestling gear. And he usually has some kind of rock and roll 
earring in like he could go and, you know, <laughs> sing for Poison or Motley Crue right. right after the, uh, <laughs> the the wrestling match. I used to wear those kind of earrings, too, <laughs> and back in the 80s. So when he does introduce Roddy Piper, Piper stays in the doorway because he doesn't really want to go and, like, get too close to the python or the, he's not, he's you know. He's not a fan of the snake. <laughs> no, nor the, the doggy bed they built for Damien. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so Piper stays into the in the shelter of the doorway. What I really do like at one point is that Piper just kind of like pokes his finger in, in Jake's face without actually touching him, but Jake takes a bump like and you know jumps back like six inches. Like oh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. It's, a, it's just a good good sight gag. And the whole shtick that they do is that Jake keeps wanting to go over to Damien and lure Piper in to see if he can you know shoved Damien, you know, onto Piper or something. Trying to intimidate him and scare yeah. him with the snake. Right. And- but Piper's not having it. He's like, like a, if you want to talk to me, you just leave that slimy snake alone. <laughs> and like, and they do kind of a rule of three thing. That, you know, Jake goes, oh, just come on. You're not afraid of a snake. Come on here. I'll show you. You know, follow me. Come on. Just in. So he goes to the, like, go pet Damien. And Piper just grabs him by the back of his suspenders and drags him back and said, <laughs> I told you. And then he does it again. Jake's like, oh, it's fine. He's a cuddly little guy. You're lucky. Come on, come, come with me. And like, so Jake bends over the thing again to like pick up Damien. And this time uh, Piper grabs him by the hair oh, and yes, yanks him yes. back. And I'm thinking, oh, well, now it's get, on. Get a fight going here. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Jake keeps his cool. He's like, oh, come on now, man. We don't need to do that. We, gotta, we, we don't make, need to make it physical. And one last time. Jake goes over the, the, uh, to the pit, but instead Piper gives him a boot to the rump. That's right. <laughs> and he kind of goes over. So it's a good Pratt fall. Yeah. And then Jake really does lose his cool, but Piper's long wide, gone. It's such a wide object he's going over. Like it's yeah. not like just a little chair or something. It's yeah. a big circle that, he, you know, base that he has to clear because he has to not land on Damien. So. Yeah. Although, of course, you know, Damien's probably a lot tougher than we squeamishly think. Like, oh, that poor snake. Like that's this, this snake probably could kill a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but we are all for uh, respect, and we do not support any cruelty to animals. Damien right. does take a bit of a bump, but it made me think like, well, the snake's probably pretty tough, you know, as a maybe yeah, yeah, 80, 90 sure. pound animal. So it's good physical comedy with Jake having Roddy Piper on the snake pit. <laughs> Earlier on, wrestling fans, we cornered uh, World Wrestling Federation President Jack Tunney and asked him, in fact, does Danny Davis have the worthiness to be a referee? We've had more mail on official Danny Davis as a referee than we have on any other official since the WWF began. And I can tell you right now that the WWF Championship Committee is investigating the worthiness of Danny Davis to continue as an official in the WWF. Okay, it's the November 3rd primetime edition. And this is a funny one. There's always a shtick going on through these shows. And this one, it's Heenan, after much complaining in previous episodes, Heenan's the host. So Heenan gets to be in the host chair. And Gorilla's, so, Gorilla's on the left and Heenan's on the right, kind of reverse what their normal position is. November 3rd? Yes. Ah. Well, then, I can tell this little story. Um, Heenan was just talking about how much he uh, enjoyed working with Monsoon. And he said that one time they did a Halloween broadcast okay yeah and um gorilla wore a full gorilla mask oh, yeah, yeah, and sure. suit for yeah. the whole you know show yeah. and i'm not sure what costume heenan wore right but right. the point being that at the end of the show the two of them came up with a gag together and they noticed a cameraman was about gorilla's size 
Yeah. So in the very last shot, they got this cameraman to put on the gorilla suit and mask. Okay. And then Gorilla Monsoon in his, you know, regular street clothes shows up and says, hey, everybody, sorry I'm late. I, I couldn't, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I couldn't make it any earlier. And he looks at Merrick Gorilla, you know, and he looks at the actual guy in the gorilla suit. He's like, what? What? Who? What? Oh, boy. Yeah. Some of the silly antics the two of them got up to because he just said he loved working with Gorilla so much. Yeah, there's a, there's an episode which I wasn't going to touch on, but just because you said that with the uh, prime time where Heenan comes out basically for th- Thanksgiving episode dressed up as like you know a pilgrim with like the what do you call it, the Dutch boy haircut like a wig yeah. on like and stuff like that and it's yeah. you know, it's pretty silly so yeah they like to have a lot of fun on these episodes and so one of the things that's been going on for several episodes when I was trying to find material one of the constant things was Heenan. Wanted to see his LJN doll. <laughs> so he's trying to get his out. Yeah. And in one episode, he gets this big box ship to him and like they tease it the whole show. And finally at the end, he's, he's going through it near the end and he can't find it. And at the very, very end, he pulls out like a Hogan doll or something. And he's so irate and he's on the phone with people and they can't get the doll. So finally this episode, Monsoon has gotten the LJN, except for he's attached a weasel tail. Yeah, to the <laughs> I saw that. That was really good. Yeah. It so was he, kind of... Keenan's really mad. Yeah. I know you almost feel sorry for Bobby. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, hey, what's this? Ah! That's good. Yeah. Quickly, November 8th Wrestling Challenge. This is where we see interview little segment. So it's like a pre-tape thing. Albano announces his retirement and he's having his last match with the Bulldogs versus the Dream Team and Johnny V. And they even have uh, Matilda in this in the screen for this. And on the same episode I spotted, just it just came up either before or after it, uh, Frenchie Martin. So that's the guy that ends up managing Dino Bravo eventually. He's just like a normal jobber in this in this show. Like I see him like he's he's in a tag match. No no you know no gimmick no gear. Just just what about felt... the painter's gear? Did nope, he have? No, nope. <laughs> he, he doesn't have his hat on. He does he doesn't have like the hat on. He's just he's just got like the AWA like double shoulder strap black you know kind of you know tights that kind of style. Um, and that's we see him because I always see him so much on cards like listed as a wrestler. And I'm thinking, like, geez, they're putting that manager in there a lot. Like, he's on a lot of cards, under undercards, once he starts becoming, you know, not right now, but a little bit further down the road. And so here we go. That's why. Because he was, you know, he was already wrestling there as a jobber in the first place. That same Wrestling Challenge episode brings us a continuation of Roddy Piper's struggles against the Evil Heels. So now remember, most people didn't see that Morocco match. That was sort of a Boston exclusive or wherever that was. So the majority of people haven't seen that. They've just seen everything else. There's not enough Piper to go around. That's right. So this is what they are doing on this show is replaying at a match from the previous week's Superstars and including a Piper's Pit bit from the week even before that. So I'll skip through the Piper's Bit part. It's just Fuji and... Piper insulting each other back and forth a little bit and then challenging each other to a match. And then here we go. We get to see this match against a replay from Superstars. We get Roddy coming out with a crutch entrance. So he's coming out like it's uh, Saturday's main, the previous Saturday event. He's coming out looking hobbling and stuff, which is a little bit out of, you know, turn of like, we're trying to think like, is he injured? Is he not injured? But when he gets in the ring, because Jesse's questioning it. We get Jesse and McMahon on the call because it's superstars, of course. So Jesse's complaining that does Piper really need that crutch? He's accusing him of bringing out as a weapon, an excuse to bring a weapon, and not something he actually needs. And sure enough, Piper shows us. He goes in the corner, he hobbles over, but then he pulls down the knee pad, and he slowly takes off the wrap, and he throws it in the crowd to reveal that his knee is healed, <laughs> and he's ah. healthy, and Fuji's in trouble. So basically, he beats Fuji up instead of the boxing style strikes it's the martial arts strikes from Piper he's sort of you know using some of that stuff mostly it's Piper Fuji does get one good lick in on Piper's leg which he sells for him and this eventually sets up a spot where Mr. Fuji 
climbs to the top rope. <laughs> Hands to the heaven, and he comes off with the big butt bash, but Piper rolls out of the way, so Fuji takes the big bump. I was pretty surprised. I, can't, I was trying to think, like, I think I've seen Fuji do like a headbutt off the second rope, but I was like, top rope? No, <laughs> come on. Did you say a butt bash or yeah, a yeah, head he jumped butt? Off, yeah, he jumped off and landed on his butt, basically. Okay. Yeah. So, of course, the one problem for Piper in this match is Danny Davis is the referee, and he's very aggressive at stopping Piper from his assault on Mr. Fuji, constantly blocking punches and threatening Piper because he's using his closed fist, which, sure enough, Piper is using a closed fist, so Davis isn't completely... That's true. And, and McMahon complained right off the beginning. I believe this is the match where he's, he's complaining about the ref, and, but nothing's happened yet, and Jesse's like... Well, come on, McMahon. Has he done anything yet? <laughs> McMahon doesn't have anything to point to, so he has to kind of concede to Jesse. That, oh, I guess not. I guess not. So, but at this point, we see Don Morocco come through the crowd, come over the railing, and now Piper sees him, and he's, he's staring at him. And then from the other side, the camera side of the ring, Jimmy Hart and Bob Orton show up, and Piper's not aware of them. So Piper's goading... And Danny Davis is rolling Mr. Fuji out of the ring. That, that was kind of weird. <laughs> Mr. Fuji's kind of done. And so Piper lays down to invite Don Morocco in. And so Morocco comes charging in and goes for a big elbow drop. And Piper rolls out of the way. <laughs> so Morocco takes the bump. And then he does it two more times. So <laughs> there's three consecutive missed elbow drops. And Piper gets up all proud of himself, about to attack Morocco. But Cowboy Bob Orton's in there and kicks him in the back of the leg. So Piper takes this big bump. They give him a mini beatdown. I think they basically just throw him out of the ring at one point. And then Piper comes back in with the crutch. And he's swinging like a madman. Like, you know, if he ever connected with any of these shots, these guys would be, you know, in big trouble. So they fly out of the ring. And Danny Davis rings the bell and goes over and raises Piper's hand. And as Finkel starts to make the announcement, he pulls Piper's hand down. <laughs> and he's disqualified Rowdy Piper for using a foreign object on the guys that interfered <laughs> like it's just so outrageous and jesse does to his credit does a great job of like basically like standing behind danny davis on this decision and mcmahon's like oh, come on you know what time like just mcmahon's getting all mad and jesse's like is, is he allowed to have a crutch in there and just like beyond the point but he never really gets the idea that like maybe fuji should have been disqualified the moment don morocco came in and tried to attack roddy piper so it's pretty right. pretty funny stuff but it leaves Piper frothing at the mouth, angry in the in the ring. And that's where we got to see, and I, there was some other stuff, Jimmy Hart managing Bob Orton. I'd kind of forgotten that part of it. You know, like I remembered everything about this and the, the Morocco Orton tag team, but I didn't really remember Jimmy sort of specifically becoming his manager, which is the case. Right. Yeah, I think I stumbled on something looking for content for our show or whatever, where uh, a singles match, Bob Orton with the pink hat and wrestling a mid-carter, you yeah. know. Pedro Morales or something, you know, right. or Tony Gurria, so he could get the win. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so as a follow-up, the next week on Primetime, we got Heenan and Gorilla. So Heenan's still in the host chair, and he's bragging. <laughs> and he's like, how did this, like, Gorilla's like, I don't understand what's going on. And, and Bobby's like, what are you going to do about it? And, he's, and Gorilla's like, I got friends. And then they do this quick edit, and they're both, they're in opposite seats. <laughs> And Bobby's playing up like, what? What happened? What? <laughs> As if somehow like they've teleported. It's pretty good little shtick. Star Trek. <laughs> That's right. Um, primetime wrestling. <laughs> or is that wrestling challenge? Uh, which one's that? Sorry? Um, which one is uh, Heenan? Isn't it primetime wrestling? Primetime is, is Monsoon and Heenan from yeah. like the studio. Yeah. Wrestling challenge is also both of them, but more like the superstar setup where you're supposed to think they're at the arena, you know, commentating on the matches. Okay. So as part of this primetime episode, there's a neat match. We're not going to cover it, just going to cover the end um, because we don't see this very much. And it's this rare babyface versus babyface matchup. So we've got from the 
US2, US Express 2 slash American Express, Mike Rotundo versus Jim Brunzel. And so Monsoon says before the match starts that they get a lot of mail asking for scientific matches. So, you know, here we go. So match starts in the middle of it. It's a lot of like hold reversals, like, you know, body scissors. And they do eventually, the crowd, the crowd's not with them. The crowd starts chanting boring and making some cat calls. So you do see Rotundo and Jim start like giving each other some stiff forearms. I guess they probably, you know, got in there and probably talked to each other. <laughs> like, you know, okay, let's let's give them something. So there's some drop kicks. There's some things. They're both pretty beat up. It's very, no one has the advantage for very long. It's a very, like, you know, 50-50, back and forth, back and forth. And the end of the match comes when Jim Brunzel evades a move where he goes over Mike Rotundo's back, and he's behind him, and he gives him this atomic drop, which leaves him staggered in the middle of the ring. And so Jim Brunzel bounces off the ropes to try and attack him, but Mike Rotundo catches him up into the fireman's carry to set up his famous airplane spin. But the momentum of the whole thing carries both of them crashing over the top rope to the outside. And the count goes, and as both men are about to get in, Mike Rotundo kind of has a moment of like the savage thing with Honky Tonk, where he's like, he gives Jim Brunzel a push, thinking that if he pushes Brunzel, he can get in and get the win, and Jim Brunzel will be get counted out. But they both get counted out. <laughs> Ooh, with just a little uh, egg on Rotunda's face. Just a tiny bit, yeah, yeah. And I waited, I watched right to the very end of it, expecting to see a handshake, and I didn't. They shook hands before the match, but they didn't They didn't shake hands afterwards. So I saw this poster online, because I came across this match sometime in the summer when I was looking at results, and it was a card where there was like a tag team elimination situation, and it was like, let's say, the Hart Foundation versus Sheik and Volkoff, and US Express versus the Killer Bees. And then the winners were going to face each other, face the winners of the other, you know, set. And then the winner of that was going to get a tag team title match. So I was always, I, tr- I tried to find that U.S. Express Killer Bees match. Because we have watched some of these like heel versus heel. So I wanted to see the baby face versus baby face. But this is the closest we're going to get. Quick note here. This is kind of neat. So in November 11th, 12th, and 13th, there's house shows in Green Bay, La Crosse, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. It's Savage versus Steamboat with the Crusher as the guest ring announcer. Aha. Uh-huh. They just love pulling them out every once in a while in these like yep. certain Midwest AWA towns. They got to bring up the crusher to pop the crowd. Yeah, you can get a payday. That's right. The wrestler who made Milwaukee famous and wrestler wrestling famous, the crusher. Crusher, good That's to see right. you. Roll out the barrel. Now, a lot of people are going to mistake me for Johnny Cash. But I'm not Johnny Cash. I'm the crusher. Another quick note here. November 12th, Tacoma, Washington. Slick, in real life, breaks his arm after falling awkwardly by being chased by Matilda. So they have to work that into storyline. He's because he's got the cast on and, and he cuts a promo on Matilda. And it's, so it's pretty good. You know, like, you know, like a real life accident turns into like a good storyline for them. Okay, good. Yeah. Bulldogs are going to pay for that one. I mean, it took place in Tacoma, Washington. They tell me it was one of the most hilarious things they've ever seen with Slick being treed up there in the top rope, fell down, broke his arm. Hilarious. You call that hilarious, McMahon? I don't know. Let's go up to uh, ringside. And then here we go. November 15th in L.A., Tito pins Mr. X. And I think we talked about this before, but I want to remind you who Mr. X is. Do you know? Um, Barrio? Nope. Um, Danny Davis. 
Oh. <laughs> so Danny Davis was in A Land of a Thousand Dances because Mr. X was in A Land of a Thousand Dances. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Really neat. Didn't Weird. realize that he was, he was, you know, he was wrestling for a while and then he was refing and wrestling. And then, you know, then the Danny Davis character really took over, right? And then he, so that makes more sense now why they like, you know, turned him into a, re- a, a wrestler because he already was a wrestler. Right. There was an AWA Mr. X. Yeah. I think that might've been a different guy, maybe. Probably yeah. age-wise. Yeah. Okay. Or a really young, a really young Danny Davis, like possibly. Right. Yeah. Because he looks like he's in his 30s for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not a young, not a young man. No. Not a super young man. No. 30s young, young for us, but. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So November 15th, Wrestling Challenge. Just really quickly, Harley races on and Heenan are on Piper's pit. And uh, just at the very end of it, Piper comes out and to give uh, Harley Race's throne and places a toilet seat <laughs> like around his neck from behind and, and leaves, you know, Harley Race and Bobby Heenan all upset. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Well, wow. it's a, you know, I'm sure it's an unused <laughs> toilet seat, but it's one of those horseshoe style, you know, like. Yeah, no, of course. <laughs> and also on this episode, we see the first of the Outback Jack vignettes. So that's going to come up on a different episode we already did, so we're not going to touch on that too much. And this episode actually had that Lou retirement match, that six-man tag. But we got so much stuff, we don't have time. We got to keep going. Here we go from that same episode. It's Randy Macho Man Savage versus the Birdman, Coco Beware. So once again, the champion is disgraced by having to make his entrance (laughs) first. I object. Anyway. Savage has a robe that's kind of got a um, spray paint animation logo on it instead of sequins or fringes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. It reminds me in some way, not the like, not the same, but style-wise, a little bit of the way Ultimate Warrior's stuff would look once it, like he started having those different jackets that had like these, uh, you know, like what do you call that? With like the way Rick Rude did his tights, I forget how they call that. The spray tight, like the there's a there's a word for that type of printing. Or silk whatever. screening or something? It's not even silk screening. I'll we'll come up with it. Later. But it almost looks like graffiti art sometimes, um, because it sometimes it looks like it, it's almost meant to look like there's something's been spray painted. Yeah. Anyway. Coco Beware Macho Man wear the same type of glasses. I noticed <laughs> right. those special swatch glasses, and I have my own pair. What I like about this match is that uh, Elizabeth, by the way, is wearing a beautiful green get to see a lot of legs she looks pretty good <laughs> uh, so she looks very uh elegant as usual but also quite sexy because this one's uh, one of her shorter dresses yeah it's funny they would always present her so prim and proper but at the same time they'd always find ways like and nothing compared to like the attitude error or something but like the camera would sort of be in an angle to either almost be looking up the skirt or or, or look down from above kind of like getting some cleavage or something and you sort of it'd be a little bit out of um out of out of sorts compared to the way, rest of the way everything was presented hmm well like I was look. always on the lookout for that, and I don't remember much of that. <laughs> I saw it this week, so yeah. Oh, all right, you're going to have to point it out to me. Where do I, where do I get a peek? Sneaky peek of Elizabeth. <laughs> so, anyway, she's classy. Apparently, I'm not. But anyway, um, what I like about this match is that uh, Macho Man actually, uh, well, he attacks Coco Beware before he disrobes. So, you know, there's a couple of punches or whatever and kicks before Macho Man takes off his robe. But then his first five spots, he's still got his glasses and headband on. <laughs> That's right. So Macho Man looks really cool with the shades and uh, yeah, headgear. Be- beating up Mr. Coco where? Yeah, outside the ring and then back in the ring. And it's not until his headband comes off with one of his kind of dropping hangman clotheslines that he takes off his shades because his headbands yeah. come off. So, you know, this is how Savage gets the early advantage by attacking, you know, before the bell. A Pearl Harbor, I'm not sure if Monsoon's... Says that or not? What, what are we watching? 
this is, is a wrestling challenge. So yeah. that'll be it. Would be monsoon on the it's mic. It's definitely monsoon. Yeah. Okay. And Heenan. So it's not a very long match. Coco does get some good offense in though, including a great, beautiful like, missile drop kick from yeah. the top rope. It looks really and awesome. And when I said Honky Tonk Man doesn't have any baby face skills, Coco Beware's got lots of them. <laughs> and the crowd yeah. loves it. Like when he's firing up and doing moves, like the crowd's cheering. Yeah, it's pretty great. I think that, or not I think, rather. There are other moves, but the most prominent one being that uh, at one point, Macho Man is kind of draped on the top. Well, he, he seems vulnerable and uh, he's leaning on the ropes. So Coco Beware is going to splash him or whatever, or cross body block or something. But Macho Man moves out of the way and Coco goes over the top rope. Yikes. And so opportunity is there for Macho Man to climb to the third rope and come down with his double axe handles. But one of the rare times it doesn't work out, Frankie comes in and takes the bump. <laughs> That's right. You see Frankie looking on. Yeah. Okay. So Frankie's only watching, but actually Macho Man comes up the top rope and gets his uh, fist instead of uh, delivering the double axe handle. Yeah, fist to the gut. That's pretty rare. So Macho Man's in trouble, and uh, they're skirmishing out the ring, and they end up actually both getting counted out. Yeah, Coco's like smashing Savage's head into the stairs or the side of the apron when they get as the bell goes. <laughs> yeah, and, and then uh, Bobby Heenan, what did he say something along the lines of Coco wouldn't let him back in the ring? <laughs> exactly. Macho Man wants to mix it up a little bit after the match. He takes the belt in there, and in a bit of an unfair fight, he's got the weapon, this metal yeah. object, and he wants to fight Coco. Um, so he spits at Coco, and that gets Coco <laughs> fired up, which, you know, gives Macho Man the cowardly retreat angle. And that's what happens. So he yeah. retains the belt. But actually, it was a short but Actually, that one was actually a non-title match. match. Non-title match. Yeah. yeah. Uh, short and exciting. It's good. Yeah, it was It was really good. I didn't get to watch the whole thing. I just saw cl- some of it. And it was, yeah, definitely, definitely an enjoyable spot. Later in that same episode, there's going to be a promo, one of those more localized kind of style promos, with Killer Ken and Resnick. And the champ, Randy Macho Man Savage. My favorite match of all time did get a little bit of build, but not very much. As was the case with Macho Man's interview earlier with Cal, uh, he only spends about a third of this promo talking about his, his next opponent. I think the rest of it he's talking about getting Hogan and you know the other <laughs> business on his agenda. But uh, he does acknowledge that Jake the Snake's on the horizon. Just another challenge that he will overcome. Yeah, it's so interesting to see like a, that there was any kind of warning so that you know when you show up to watch the card that you're not just going to be like. So some people when they turned on Saturday Night Event, they like they knew it was coming, but for most of us, we were like shocked. Yeah, I did not know it was happening, and they get the same thing uh, basically with Jake uh, giving his interview. Uh, you know, so they both get a chance to say that I will win, <laughs> and uh, Jake uses his line, but it's not as effective when he says, I'm an innovator, not an imitator. And I'm like, <laughs> that's right. It worked on honky. It doesn't work on macho. That's right. <laughs> but he has his t-shirt and he's bragging about that. Right. Uh, he's got uh, his gear starting to sell and he wants to sell some t-shirts. <laughs> sell some merch, make some money. Okay. On November 15th on a superstars episode, there's in a Piper's pet with Hulk Hogan. Now I'm not going to cover it fully. I just want to give the broad strokes. It's really neat because this is a very different time, right? This is post him coming to save Hogan at a Saturday Night event. This is technically good guy Piper and good guy Hogan. So Hogan doesn't trust him, as he doesn't trust anybody. But, you know, the, the character-wise, that's kind of the, they're playing that up. And he congratulates Piper or commends him on, like, the new path he's on. But he doesn't know if he's going to, you know, which road he's going to take. But he tells them whichever road he does take, they're both going to lead to the same point which is that they both want to be the top guy. So they really, this promo, and they have a bunch of officials out there. I forgot to mention that. Before Hogan comes out, 
there's like five or six WF officials because they don't they don't want to go blow to blow. So they're you know they got people there to kind of get in the way if something gets physical. It doesn't. But basically, what they're doing is teasing sort of this like down the road good guy versus good guy Piper versus Hogan feud, which of course we never get. But no. it's very, it's, you know, it's, it was, uh, I was like, mm, I'd like to see that. <laughs> mm. How would that play out? <laughs> yeah. Well, it makes me think of good guy Piper versus good guy Bret Hart. Right. Yes. Years later. Yeah. So we go to the November 18th primetime episode and Monsoon in this one, he gives uh, Heenan a present. So Heenan spends the rest of the episode trying to get Monsoon a present. But at the end, I'll skip to the end and come back to the other stuff I want to do. So it, the, the box ends up being one of those uh, Pop Goes the Weasel box. <laughs> ah. Poor so Monsoon he, didn't get an LGN doll. Poor guy. I don't think so. Funny, too, because he was actually a wrestler. So yeah, could he use one? But what we do see on this episode, and it played on, I'm sure, all the syndicated TVs. must have been on Superstars as well, because we obviously saw it. But it's the Bobby the Brain Heenan buying of the contract of Hercules from Slick. I'm sure most people here have seen it. So it starts out with them in a bank. They're outside of an open vault. And basically it's mid-conversation. I think I might have a memory of this. Where is my money? That's right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where is my money? Exactly. So uh, Bobby tries to convince him. Well, you you take a personal check. (laughs) I don't deal in anything but cash. Good funny stuff. Uh, So they head over to the, the bank teller. And Slick says he wouldn't even be selling Hercules if it wasn't for all this money. So then basically... Bobby Heenan asks for his withdrawal, and the cashier slides over this ridiculous amount of cash, like these massive stacks, like nine giant stacks of cash. I have no idea how much money it's supposed to be, but it looks like a lot. And Slick goes to grab it, and Bobby's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Well, you know, if you've got the money, what about the contract? So then Slick, it's really funny, he like, he does this really quick movement, almost like a gunslinger. He like flips his coat back, turns sideways and puts his hand into his back pocket. And Heenan like reacts as if he's like, you know, going to get like a stick up or something like that. And then Slick pulls out a brown paper bag. And that's how he's going to, like, how are you going to get this cash home kind of thing, right? Like, so then they, and they help each other put the money. In. So it looks like he's got a full bag of groceries. It's <laughs> just all money. And so that's uh, how Bobby Heenan came, you know, to get Hercules in his family. And that sets up this big matchup on Saturday Night's Main Event, Hogan versus Hercules. You'll notice in this episode, we kind of, we don't have a lot of Hogan in this one, but that's okay. Hogan's all over the place all the time, so we can take a little break from him. But it's important to know that the, you know, that title match is coming up and how how Hercules went from classy Freddy Blassie right. to Slick to Bobby Heenan. Okay, just real quick, there's a November 22nd primetime episode. It's the Killer Bees versus Morocco and Orton. I didn't really have time to fully watch the match. It looked pretty good, actually. But again, it's a Danny Davis moment. Danny Davis is refing. So he's ignoring all the Bees pin attempts. Every time they get a pin attempt, he basically walks away and starts talking to, like, either Fuji or Jimmy Hart or whoever's on the, you know, on the outside. And, uh, and he keeps stopping the Bees from coming in to protect each other, but Morocco and Orton are continually double-teaming and staying in way too long. So basically, eventually, the whole point of it all is that Blair just loses his cool and just comes in and just pushes Danny Davis. So they immediately get disqualified. And it just continues this really, you know, obvious heel turn for Danny Davis. And we'll see sprinkled through this uh, episode, you'll have heard some of it already probably, and some of it after this, Basically, these inset promos from like people like Danny Davis and Dave Hepner and Jack Tunney talking about this, you know, this situation, what the WF's going to do about this rogue referee. And I'm sitting here thinking, it's November. Why didn't they do something? Because <laughs> down the road, <laughs> Danny Davis is going to pull the ultimate screwjob. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to pay a hitman to go kill him. So on November 29th, it's the Superstars of Wrestling. And 
Andre is interview showed uh, being interviewed in London about his suspension being lifted and his return. And here we go. There's in this episode, there's just one of these random local promos. Back then, I wouldn't have thought anything of this, but it's Mike Rotundo being interviewed by Jesse Ventura about the returning from his bad knee injury, Danny Spivey. Yeah, well, McMahon says, oh, by the way, Jesse, uh, I think you had to eat a little crow, didn't you? And I was wondering what the hell they were talking about. And Jesse said, well, well, let's just see. And they cut to this interview. And this I didn't expect to hear. But we've been covering the backstage brawl between Spivey and Adonis on this program. You know, it's definitely legendary. It didn't really manifest itself in anything that I saw in the ring from Adrian Adonis. But here we go. Jesse's going to have a go at Dan Spivey for beating up his former tag team partner and presumably his friend. I'm sure it's his friend, yeah. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, we got a real tough guy. Danny Spivey likes to throw guys around in the locker room. Yeah, what do you got to say about that? And I'm like, wow. Yeah, reputation for knocking people around, I think he said. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, just really calls it out. Like, right right in the air. As as Jeff mentioned before, Jesse just tells the truth. And that's how he's a heel, you know, like. Amazing. Quite frankly, it sounded like Spivey was in the rights to defend himself, but apparently Jesse's a loyal friend. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But it's it's interesting to hear that because you wouldn't you wouldn't think anything about it. You're just thinking like, oh, Jesse's almost trying to put him over as a tough guy because he's a big guy, you know? Yeah, who on TV has any clue what the hell they're talking about? Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> Very few people. And then yeah. all these years later, everyone would know what they're yeah, talking about. Exactly. <laughs> Basically, Rotundo and Spivey are like, oh, yeah, Jesse, well, maybe you can just come out of retirement and we'll see how tough you really are. And Jesse looks at the camera and says, I don't think they really want that now, do you? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> he knows Even that though, up. really, I'm not on Adonis' side in this confrontation, I do appreciate Jesse sticking up for him. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so this match, this card includes when do they ever talk about the locker room you know yeah yeah it was it was, a little, it was a little different yeah you're right it was like a peek back there that we don't see and, and we don't even get what it is he's saying but yeah it's, it's, but we are awa guys and like our you know formative tag team wrestling memories were jesse ventura and adrian adonis versus jim Brun- jim brunzel and greg Ganya. and we what well, we sat through so much drudgery on tv that when they cut to these matches from the arena it was just electrifying man yeah this show features a non-title match between the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation. So this match had been advertised the week before, you know, the closeout of Superstars of Wrestling, as I'm watching, they say next week, and they show this match, Bulldogs versus Hart Foundation. I was so excited and so naive, because I didn't realize all these beatings the Bulldogs were taking across the country from arena to arena and all that stuff. So really excited to get to see this match, and here we go. So right away, we can see the Heart Foundations in the ring, and they have a new look. It's the pink and black attack. The full pink with the black highlights instead of, you know, the other way around. And so they look extra heelish, <laughs> as they might. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying it could have been blood red. No reason yeah, they exactly. couldn't have, right? Yeah, yeah, we did see them in the red that one time. But uh, So just as the Bulldogs music hits... We see Danny Davis walk into the frame right by the the Heart Foundation, and it's like, oh no! But I'm gonna say that I wasn't as aware of all these shenanigans that Davis had, you know, been pulling that that fall. I'm sure I must have seen one or two of these examples, but not all of them, because we didn't get all these different syndicated properties. So instead of having 15 or 20 examples of Davis being, you know, sketchy, maybe you had one or two, and maybe there were lesser lesser sketchy moments. So the Bulldogs come out. And here they are. They're in their uh, <laughs> they're in their May Saturday's main event outfits. They're in the Dynamite Kids in red and Davy Boys in blue. And they have Matilda. 
So they get in the ring, and we have some great pre-match shenanigans again with Jimmy Hart, even funnier than the other one. Jimmy's skipping around and jumping 15 feet in the air. He ends up up on the top rope and almost falls all the way out. Alice Slick, we almost got a broken arm Jimmy Hart. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> That's right. This dog is a menace. That's right. <laughs> So right away, McMahon notes it's Davis that's in the ring, and he's uh oh. And actually, that's when I made that reference in a previous match, saying, "Oh, is that what this was? This is what I'm talking about." Is McMahon basically calling out the ref before the match even starts? Jesse calls him. He's the Law and Order referee, <laughs> McMahon, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. X. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're gonna get uh, after a couple of uh, lockups. It's Bret Hart and Dynamite Kid starting the match, and after a couple of lockups, Dynamite Kid snaps off a nice arm drag, and both men are up real quick. So Hart, of course, complains about the hair pulling, which there was none, but Davis comes in and aggressively warns Dynamite Kid, as he would, so he heads over and tags Davy Boy Smith in. Davy Boy and Bret Hart lock up, and Bret grabs a headlock. Davy Boy uses the push-off, and in a surprising move, when Hartman bounced off those ropes, he knocks Davy Boy down with a shoulder tackle. What? What the hell? That's not impossible. I need a weigh-in, please. I'd yeah, like exactly. to see the side-by-side scales. <laughs> so then he bounces off the ropes again, but this time Davy Boy does a drop-down. And then a leapfrog. And then what I'm going to call a reverse monkey flip. So Davy Boy's on his back, and Bret Hart's bouncing off the ropes, running towards him, but Davy Boy's head is facing Bret Hart. So he's got his feet up in the air, and he basically catches, you know, Bret Hart in the stomach with his feet and gives it that flick and flip. But he doesn't quite go all the way over, so uh, Brett actually has to do like a rotation to like spin so that he doesn't land on his head. So it's uh, it's it's pretty cool looking, but it doesn't didn't go as expected. I've seen that mm-hmm. move done before, a little bit cleaner, a little bit more, you okay. know, more fluid flip, I guess. Well, the Bulldogs are known for their acrobatics. That's right. As well as being like so muscular. <laughs> <laughs> so then Bret Hart rolls and scurries and crawls to tag Jim in, and they note on commentary, it was weird that Davy Boy didn't try and stop him, you know, like instead of, you know, keeping the man... Cutting, cutting off the corner of the ring, you know, the, as the heel. Now, wait do. a minute. What is this biased language scurries and crawls? It sounds like you're rooting for the Bulldogs. <laughs> I want to hear the truth unvarnished, Draper. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Got my UK flag around my neck right now. <laughs> That's right. Having a, a, a warm, flat beer. <laughs> Calling it an ale. <laughs> so now we get the two power men, and they lock up, and David Wade grabs a headlock and just push the ropes, and the men collide with neither giving much ground. So they do it again, a second collision with similar results. So Davy Boy, he invites Anvil to be the one to take the run, so he takes a turn. Again, not much stands between them. They just, this big bash, but not much movement. So Davy Boy waves them on one more time, and this time Anvil charges in full speed, but Davy Boy, aha, slips in the drop toe hold. <laughs> smashes, Anvil down, smashes Anvil down on his face, ties up his legs, tags in Dynamite. Dynamite picks up Anvil and puts him in a headlock. And Bret Hart immediately comes into the ring, which Danny Davis does nothing about. But Dynamite's too quick. He uses Anvil for leverage and jumps in the air and gives Bret Hart the leaping two-foot mule kick. And Bret Hart gets up immediately and charges in again, except for this time Dynamite catches him with head scissors. And then he does the, the roll where he flips both of them. So Anvil and Bret Hart both take a bump off of Dynamite Kid flipping them. And Dynamite gets up and immediately tags Davey Boy Smith. As Anvil rises to his feet, with Davy Boy coming in, Dynamite Kid takes to the top rope to threaten him, just much like Macho Man. Like he's going to jump over top of Davy Boy on, onto Anvil. It looks really cool. He's up there perched up, looking like he's going to attack. Davy Boy backs Anvil into the ropes and sets up a whip. As Jesse points out that Danny Davis hasn't done anything wrong. <laughs> Jim gets the reversal and does a drop down as Hitman nails Davy Boy with a knee in the, from the outside, right in the ribs. Right in front of the ref, right in front of Danny Davis. Like, he so clearly is like, it's almost like he did it on purpose to make sure, I gotta make sure I'm totally facing so that I can show everybody that I didn't see it. Oh, boy. 
Blatant. <laughs> Jerk. It's funny. And then, so McMahon's complaining to Jesse. He's like, he didn't see it. And McMahon's like, oh, I saw it. <laughs> it's pretty good. That, actually, I didn't mention this uh, earlier in the match when Monsoon was complaining to Heenan. Like, do you see that? Yeah, I see it. I like it. <laughs> Macho Man was like pulling Billy Jack's hair yeah, to get yeah, control, yeah. you know. That's right. <laughs> So during this exchange, Brett switches illegally, and Danny Davis doesn't do anything about that. He lays a stomp to David Boy's gut, and then he whips him off the ropes and does a huge back body drop. And I, I'm starting to notice like, like a common thing: David Boy takes back body drops. Awesome. I don't know. I don't. I always kind of thought it was like a lot of it's on the guy taking the move. So I don't know why, but David Boy's really good at getting great height. Like Beefcake just threw him so, so high in the air, and this one, it's like. They really look good. This is followed up with the Bret Hart style leg drop. So this is where he stands over you, raises his leg up, measures it, and then drops it. <laughs> yeah. And everyone always said that they didn't want, like at one point, it got to the point basically where you weren't allowed to do a leg drop, like around Hogan, right? Like if Hogan was in the Federation, it, you're not doing a leg drop of any kind. <laughs> right. But yeah. at this point, he's still well, getting away with it. Best leg drop for me is beautiful Bobby Eaton coming that's up right. that top rope. <laughs> is, oh, is that's that the jam. Yeah. Now that's a leg drop. That's right. <laughs> so there's a pin attempt and a fairly quick count but Davey Way kicks out at two Jim is tagged in and they do a demolisher in the corner but no warning from the ref for the you know the double team and the time they're in there and Anvil gets a two count another tag brings Bret Hart back in and he lands a blow then he whips Davey Boy to the ropes and attempts to catch him in a cradle backbreaker but Davey Boy goes full rotation does a backflip and lands on his feet and does this awesome scoop slam and slams Bret Hart down, but at the same time falls to the mat himself because he's so beaten up. Dave was able to roll and tag Dynamite Kid to this big pop. So hot comes, tag. Hot tag. In comes Tom. Tom grabs Bret's hair and kicks the anvil in the gut, who had illegally charged in. I'm always pointing out if they're doing something illegal. because Yeah. Yeah, well, we we gave up <laughs> any hope of neutrality yeah. <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's the double noggin knocker. And then, like, while Anvil's drunk walking, Dynamite Kid whips Hart to the ropes and does a running knee. Looks really good in the stomach. Hart takes the big flip. This sets up the classic greasy hair rip and whip, as I'm going to call it. <laughs> just, right, chicken that towel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> After the drenching and Dynamite it. nails a snap suplex and lifts Hart again. A whip and a tremendous decapitation clothesline just really kills him with it. And Dynamite Kid covers Hart. Davis immediately walks over to Jimmy Hart's corner when Jimmy Hart isn't doing anything, like for no reason. He just basically takes himself out of the play. So Jimmy hops up on the apron. So in comes Anvil. He gives Dynamite Kid one forearm to the back to break up the pin. Davy Boy comes in to, you know, protest. And Anvil just kicks him in the gut and throws him out. Picks up Dynamite Kid in the bear hug. Bret Hart's back up at this point. Bounced off the ropes. Heart attack clothesline. Davis spins and dives to the mat. One, two, three. And they're pinned. Ugh. No megaphone shot even. No megaphone shot. So this is what I'm going to call time for Corey's rant. This Uh-oh. is bullshit. The booking of this match is terrible. Jeff just mentioned it. Why couldn't they use the megaphone? All they would, like, it would have made sense if they would have just done that one thing. Now let's go back and look at the match. We just watched Heart Foundation versus Bulldogs. How many stuff did Dan make Kid kick out of? Like the heart attack's a cool move. And in the 80s, finishers are finishers, fine. But he, this is what he took for damage in the entire match. One forearm shot from Anvil to break up the cover, not even off the ropes or anything, just like standing over top of him. Probably worth like probably less damage than if he than if Dynamite was standing, because Anvil's gonna awkwardly lean over to throw the blow. And then the heart attack clothesline, and he gets pinned. Wow, that's all he took? That's all he took. Wow. He did no he got no damage. Zero. Mm. And he gets pinned off that. Oh. The booking of the match is to win for the Heart Foundation to win. Fine. Let them win. But like A hurt the guy who's going to get pinned, and B, cheat. Yeah. You've, got, you've got a cheaty ref. Actually use the ref to cheat. Right. 
Well, they they wouldn't let Dynamite take any bumps against Bundy and Stud either. Right, but I I don't think I'm just like looking for looking for a through line. Yeah, yeah. Like Dynamite couldn't take the bumps. Well, that was back in May though, when it was close mm-hmm. to that time, and he was actually was injured. I think okay. he's like like he's he has injuries. Let's say throughout. Right. But I think he's really, really hurt with the knee injury. Okay, but after so we know this. Okay, Davy Boy is the punching bag for the team. Oh yeah. I mean, I never really put my finger on it, but when the, it's when so the team right when now. I first started watching the team, Davy Boy would stand on the apron and do the hot tag. Dynamite would take the bumps, and then when you get to this era when they're tag team champions, it reverses because Dynamite starts having all these injuries. Mm. So then Davy Boy becomes the punching bag, and Dynamite's the killer. You know, like right. and it's fine. Yeah. And again, like the point of this match is for the Heart Foundation to win. I get it. That's not the problem. It's mm. not the, the problem isn't that they win. It's how they win. Yeah. It's, and it's up until this point, it's a pretty yeah. entertaining match. It's like yeah. a pretty good match. Just throw in a freaking megaphone shot. Yeah, yeah. Like they, it, you do the exact same thing. You do forearm shot, throw Davy Boy out. Now the megaphone's there. You take the megaphone as Dynamite standing up, whack him with it. Then mm. heart attack clothesline. I don't have a problem. Yeah. But I definitely have a problem with this. This is like just such garbage. Man, like they, they just supermaned them so much in their debut against the Dream Team. Like all that offense. Like looked, on national TV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They looked so good and then Yeah. And then, then never again. I think if you asked me five years ago, oh Bulldogs, who's their classic rival? Who's their best rivalry with? And I would say the Heart Foundation. But looking at all these matches now, it's no way. It's the Dream Team. Those are way better matches. Like, I've seen some good Heart Foundation Bulldog matches, but more like 85. Right. Well, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I did feel that the Bulldogs never got their revenge for, you know, future events that we will not enjoy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I will be bitter and angry till the <laughs> for the rest, the rest of time yeah, over all well, this garbage. You know, the best is we're, this, you know, yikes. It only you know, goes down. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think one Ouch. thing that you and I missed out on with because I was in and out of wrestling, I actually missed part of the Attitude Era, which is so sad. I hung in hard on those bad years, like 93, 94, 95 was some pretty bad stuff. And then life happens and you get away from wrestling for a while. And then all of a sudden you find out like, oh, wait a minute, one of the best eras ever in wrestling is happening and you, you're missing part of it. But one of the things we missed out on was like 97, Owen Hart and Davey Boy as tag champs and stuff like that. And as a tag team, there's just so much stuff out there. There's a pay-per-view every month. You know how many like top match and they're on Raw every week? There's so much stuff out there that you and I never saw. Mm, and it's kind of yeah. like Owen, Owen and Davey Boy versus the Road Warriors. Like That's about as close as we're going to get to the That's Bulldog true. versus the Road Warriors. Fantasy you know? match. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. You know? like, like maybe the all-time fantasy match was kind of like Bulldogs versus Road Warriors. Yeah. And one day you're like, hey, look at this. And I'm like, oh my God, Davey Boy wrestling animal and you're like What's yeah yeah big, wow. big 10 man tag yeah okay so that's the, I, I remember that one and, cool. and it's really interesting because guess what folks this show is the morning of Saturday Spain event I have so such strong memories of watching Saturday Spain event and taping it I have such strong memories of this match but I don't have them as like together I don't remember watching that morning and being like oh, my bulldog's lost like I don't remember going into Saturday Spain event so I'm like I'm just confused by it but it, it says it's a superstars t- episode that aired on that date so it has to, has to be. Okay, we got one last really important piece of business for our setup before we can say goodbye for the week and get ready for that big show next week of the actual main event. And it's a Piper's Pit, and Jimmy Hart wants to come back on because he's not happy about what happened last time. He is a brave, squeaky little fella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he comes all out. He comes out by himself. Think that the crutch and the, there are scarves, and it's just a, there's a lot of business going on. Piper, what's on that shirt? I couldn't read. It's it's not his hot rod shirt. It's a different oh, color. Yeah, you're right. I don't even I can know what it says. Picture it now, but I can't remember what it said. Uh, yeah, green. Yeah. yeah, maybe he's suddenly from Oregon. Oh, correction section. We'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> right, J- Jimmy's already at fever pitch. You humiliated me. <laughs> you're such a bully. I'm not gonna take it anymore. P- Piper's just calm as can be. Yeah, you know it's it's really surprising that that Jimmy has no backup. 
And, you know, Karate's like, I'm not going to beat up a 120-pound guy. Just take it easy. You know, I, you know, but, 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 but Jimmy wants to fight. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And Jimmy's like poking him in the chest. And yeah. you know, Piper's just looking down in his chest. All yeah. calm as can be. Poke, 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 poke. <laughs> I thought, you know, he's not going to put up that for long. But he does. And then and then Jimmy, like, gives him a little smack. <laughs> like slaps a little, him in the face. Yeah. Slaps him in the face. I mean, real life Jimmy Hart's like, don't hit him too hard. You don't want a receipt. You know? So it's a real, <laughs> yeah, 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 very yeah. weak slap. Yeah. Right? You know, I've only really recent, recently learned that receipt means like when somebody hurts you and you hurt them back. Right, yes. Now you're even. So that's a receipt. And so yeah. I had no idea that lingo until even I learned that during our podcast that, you know. Right. Yeah. I think it's kind of like the hockey thing to take a number. So like so to make sure you don't take a penalty. Like when you're mad at somebody in hockey because they hit you and did something, it's like right. you don't turn around and like hit them back because the referee is going to call a penalty. Right. You take a number and you wait until your opportunity to like right. hit them, you know, when they're yeah. not ready for a hit. And Yeah. Take a number. Of course, they have numbers on their jerseys. Exactly. That's what that's what right. it's re- referencing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, apparently Sergeant Slaughter had to tell Ultimate Warrior, if you're going to hit me that hard every night, I'm going to have to start giving you some receipts. Yeah. So they were, you know, very stiff matches. Warrior. Yeah, everyone always complained slaughter. about Warrior being too stiff because he just yeah. didn't really care to learn how to work properly yeah, and yeah. you know how to protect people. Oh yeah. So you got a choice. You know, you can ease up, <laughs> or I'm going to start hitting you back. You know, as best I can, as hard. Anyway, so uh, where was we? We were at the end of slap. our. We're wrapping the up the slap. Who's slapping? Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Hart slapping Roddy Piper. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Piper lets it go. He says, "I'm going to let that one go." Yeah, and then, right. you know, oh, fuck, it's great. It's almost like he's like, I know what I did to you last time was kind of mean, so I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to cut you a break. <laughs> right. Jimmy's not having it. Two, three, four slaps. Four, five slaps. Keep slapping him. Of course, you know, Piper eventually has to do something about it, but Adrian comes out as Piper is occupied, grabs Jimmy by the cuff of his jacket. Well, after like six slaps, Piper finally grabs him by the shirt. He's oh, like, yeah. you want to mess around? And then that's the opportunity for Adrian to come in. Yeah, with his back turned. Yeah. yeah. Is it a crutch shot? I don't know. But right away, we get a sleeper. That's the main Well, no, I, actually, what happens is he, he attacks Piper, who no-sells it. Oh, and then Jimmy Hart runs in with a megaphone to the back of Piper's head, and he no sells that. Yeah, he but sure that's did. that's when Adrian gets the sleeper on him. Yeah, I think that must have been a botch. He must have not felt the megaphone or the, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it, it looked awful though. Yeah, you know you shouldn't do that. No, you can't like um, yeah. You can no sell a strike from Jimmy Hart, but if you no sell his megaphone, like the you're confusing the crowd. That's right. Oh well, that's why I think it was a botch. Anyway, Adrian throws the sleeper. On Piper, and uh, they put him right out and, and leave yeah. him laying. The, you know, it's, yeah. uh, of course, Adonis was supposed to have an injured arm from that crutch shot. So Jesse's seeing like, oh, well, he's got the sleeper on him. Clearly, he's healed his arms. And he's That's right, yeah. Back in- and it, this is the time when he comes back where there's a slight change to his wardrobe. So he still does like the makeup and stuff, but he drops like wearing like coming out to the ring and dresses and stuff like that he's he's wearing like a baggy uh, sweater or whatever yeah what really dirty gym workout yeah. clothes and eventually he'll do things like come out in a robe or something but he won't go back he'll he'll keep part of the you know he's still doing the character right. he's just doing it slightly differently yeah now um, good that's right so your thing about receipts and like you know not not wanting to slap the person too hard so when i was listening to the uh bruce pritchard podcast years ago he did an episode I'm trying to remember which one it was, something about Piper. So he's talking about when they're getting ready for WrestleMania 5 and Piper and Brother Love are going to have this like WrestleMania moment. And 
But so to get ready for it, they got to do like house show brother love segments because they want to be smooth. And he's a really big fan of Piper's, but he's never met him. He also had done Roddy Piper impersonations when Roddy wasn't around. And he found out through the grapevine, Roddy wasn't too happy. And that's what his shtick is supposed to do. He's supposed to do Roddy in front of Roddy in the ring and get him mad. So Bruce is like, you know, he's no tough guy. And he'll totally tell you, he knows how to take a bump and stuff, but he's not a wrestler. So he remembers being just so nervous about meeting Piper and about going in the ring with him. And so they're doing their first, they're doing their first face to face in front of a live crowd, you know, no cameras and Piper fucking drills him in the face slap, like slaps him so hard. Like he can't hear, he can't see. He's like basically crying almost like he's just like, and you know, they get through the segment and he gets to the back and Roddy comes back. He's like, Oh, you did great kid. He just loves him. And he's just like, and from that point on, he was always nice to him, but he's like, he took that one, you know, really, really hard punch to like, sort of be like, you don't, you know, you don't make fun of me. You don't, you don't take (laughs) it. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, there was one thing that we didn't mention that I really got a kick out of, unless we're saving it. Honky, I watched a Honky promo. Yeah. Okay. So Honky was a face. We're trying to be a face. Right. At the top of our program today. But uh, around November, one of these shows, Challenge or Primetime, Honky has already lost his vote of confidence. So now he's cutting a promo and I, I caught me off guard. Uh, he, he, you know, he was like, oh, the honky tonk, man, you know, I was, I did what I could. I, I, I was shaking hands and kissing babies, but uh, I'm dirty I'm babies or ugly right, babies. Yeah. <laughs> Puke on their mouths and these nasty, greasy hands. I was shaking and I'm done. You're going to see a, you're going to see a change from honky tonk, man. I might walk down and I might slap a baby. I might, <laughs> I might hit a beep. I was like, what the fuck? I'll take a man and do a tap dance on his head. Oh I was God. totally shocked. Oh yeah. And then I thought they beeped out bitches, but like, you know, it was just okay. women. I might hit a woman. They That's beep hilarious. that out. They don't, they don't beep out slap a baby, but they beep out hit a woman. Yeah, there's a Ken Resnick Heart Foundation interview that I skipped over, but it, that just reminded me of it because like they... they talking about Matilda and they're like, you know what a female dog's called? And they say bitch and they say it like twice in a row on this like Saturday morning promo and I was like, right. what the hell? Like, how is this, how is this working out? I don't understand it. So we kind of skipped over it but it's important to note that the November 22nd Superstars of Wrestling episode is huge. It's monumental. It's Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat in Intercontinental title match that really is like this, you know, this, the spark that lights the fire for WrestleMania 3. And the greatest match they say. Of all time. And so when Jeff and I started this podcast, the second thing we ever recorded was that actual show. We we did a show just on that one episode covering every little bit in it, you know, you know the Outback Jack part and the, <laughs> and the squash matches and it, it covered it all. Pillared post. So, but that's going to be over on Patreon. And that's something we have to get. It hasn't been released yet, but it's going to get released pretty soon. We're trying to get the Orndorff one out the door. Get the Steamboat Savage one out the door. Get that all out there. So that's one of the reasons if you're looking at this and saying, hey, wait a minute, you guys skipped over like pretty much the most important thing that happened in November. It's like, well, that's why. Because it's, it was so big, it couldn't just be part of a show. It had to be its own show. That's right. So check out Patreon. And uh, the details, I think, are legendary wrestling obsession at patreon.com. There's a forward slash in there somewhere. We're going to take one little break. <laughs> We're going to give you those details on the other side, and then we'll take it home. Right, so there's a few ways you can follow us or get a hold of us. wanted to pass that along and make sure it's clear what to do. So if you have any stories, any thoughts, any feelings you want to pass along, please email us at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. 
And of course, we really want people to go over to Patreon. And to get there, you're going to have to type in patreon.com forward slash legendary wrestling obsession. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And if you're having trouble or anyone's having trouble finding our podcast, send them over to legendarywrestlingobsession.podbean.com. And that's where you'll find our episodes. It's the quickest place they load. The fastest way to listen to us talk about wrestling. What he said. Okay, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.